Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy. Joining me on the show today, I've got Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress. Also got our intern, T.P. Hammock, hanging out with us for the first hour today. You'll hear him on the show as well. As uh, We have a lot to do today on this Thursday. Coming up in just a few moments, we will talk about the various roster happenings for Auburn baseball. They had a slew of decisions being made over the last 48 hours or so post-MLB draft. We'll tell you who's in, who's out to the Auburn baseball team next year. Coming up at 4.30 today, we're going to power rank the SEC football programs. Not necessarily a prediction of what will happen this year, just how these off-seasons have transpired, how these programs are shaping up as we speak today. So coming up in the 4 o'clock hour again, we will power rank the SEC football programs uh, program, of course, uh, throughout the show today we will have your phone calls as always on the auburn bank phone line at 334-887-341 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine at birthdays and sports and nightly tv guide as always ryan tp brant and brooks with you here this afternoon we'll start with brant today brant how are you feeling on this thursday i'm excited you know it's thursday and i understand we've got uh tomorrow to to come as well but right now i'm thinking a lot about sec media days coming up uh Next week, we're leaving out of here Sunday, going to be up in Nashville all the next week, uh, us three and Cam and Tom, so uh, a loaded week, and I'm really excited for that. And you're right, a, a lot of roster movement from Auburn baseball, what with the draft and some guys deciding to go, some guys deciding to stay, some guys deciding to come back that I don't think people expected to come back. So uh, a lot to, a lot of uh, interesting movement on that front, and yeah, you know, it's Thursday, and Thursday is Friday Eve, so a couple more hours, and then we're to Friday, and then it's a good day. So uh, hopefully today's show is going to be just as good. Yeah, starting to get a little whiff of the weekend, and uh, we've been working in the office today getting our equipment aligned and ready to go for media days coming up in Nashville next week. Brooks Childress has also been kind of spearheading that equipment. Uh, you know, it's I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of it not has gone as smoothly as we want it to, but we're getting all the kinks worked out in time. But Brooks, how are you feeling today? I am feeling great. It's a Thursday. We're getting close to the weekend. We're getting so close to having baseball back in our lives after the All Star break. Got one more night of baseballless TV, and then you head into uh, the Friday night. You're going to have uh, the Braves will be back in action tomorrow night. They're hosting the White Sox this weekend, so can't wait to get to. Uh, get get to that, uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the sports world. A lot of stuff going on in the Auburn sports world. It's kind of weird to say in July, but you just said the MLB draft wrap up earlier this week, and so you're getting decisions made. Um, you're you're still waiting to hear about some guys. I know a lot of uh, Auburn's top guys, uh, uh, signees that they they had were, were drafted, and so you, you're sitting back waiting to see if it, uh, who's going to sign there, who's going to you know decide to to hold up their. Uh, 
their commitment to go to Auburn and, and play baseball for Butch Thompson in the, in the Auburn baseball program. And so you're, you're just kind of playing a waiting game here, seeing who's, who's coming back, who's not, and uh, that, that was drafted or who's going to be arriving on campus or not. But can't wait to talk about all of that. Um, watched, uh, some, watched some summer league last night. Uh, watched some U.S. soccer last night, disappointing for the U.S. to uh, crash out of the World Cup, and uh, or not in the World Cup, the Gold Cup, uh, this against Panama. And so the final will be Sunday. It's going to be Mexico versus Panama out in L.A. Uh, and I, I think the ratings uh, just went down quite a bit in the U.S. Now, uh, south of the border, it's going to be very high ratings. Everybody's going to be watching it. And I'll tell you what, there's, there's probably going to be a lot of, there, there may actually be a lot of ratings here in the U.S. because I know Mexico's got a huge following here uh, in the continental United States. But, you know, it is it is what it is. U.S. Uh, won the league, uh, the Nations League a couple, about a month ago. And so you won a trophy this summer. You were playing with your, your second tier guys anyway. And so it, it, it's still disappointing though. But other than that, it's a great day in Auburn. <laughs> Can't wait to talk to all our callers. Can't wait to uh, get into the show. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, second team guys on there, and still disappointing for sure. Didn't get to catch any of it, or, or I guess I caught the first ten minutes of it or so. But uh, that was a disappointing result last night. TP Hammock also on the show for the first hour with us. TP, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great. Uh, my mom came up last night for dinner, who I know is listening to the show. Uh, had a good evening. Got some Culver's, uh, which is really good. It's kind of newer in Auburn. If y'all haven't gotten it, give it a chance. And I seem to be the only one in the office supporting a jersey on Jersey Thursday, which made me feel... Uh, a little lonely, I can't lie, but uh, I'm repping the Chicago Bears Justin Fields jersey. But yeah, I'm just getting ready for football season. I saw that we are, I think, 44 days away from uh, college football season. Week zero, we get that ESPN thriller of New Mexico State versus UMass, so I'm looking forward to watching <laughs> that one. So yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, being on for this first hour and uh, listening to our callers. Absolutely. Let's get things rolling today with that Auburn baseball roster news. There is a little bit of Auburn football roster news to tell you about a little bit later, too. Uh, but baseball, kind of more comprehensive, a lot of things going on. So we talked about some of the drafted guys earlier this week. And, of course, uh, you know Cole Foster now gone out of that middle, middle infield. But Auburn was looking to bring in an infielder from Sacred Heart by the name of Sam Mongelli, who was drafted in the 10th round. He made it official, I believe, last night that he is going to uh, sign the the with the big league team. Obviously, not going to play for the big league team, but sign with the big uh, league organization and, and go and play professional baseball. So he will not be transferring to Auburn any longer. So Auburn pivoted very quickly, as uh, some I think schools understand, and I think sport, especially in the baseball element of it, when you've got guys that could go, could not. They quickly pivoted, and they're going to get Javon Hernandez from Jacksonville State, who hit 397 for the Gamecocks last year in the middle infield in 56 games. He also walked more than he struck out. So you've got uh, Mongeli out. He will not be transferring from Sacred Heart to Auburn. He's going pro. But you do have Javon Hernandez coming from Jacksonville State to Auburn. You also got a couple of returnees that are making uh, significant news. First, uh, really not on my radar, I must admit, Joseph Gonzalez will return to Auburn. He did not get drafted, so it makes sense after not getting drafted to return. But basically, the the language at the end of the season was every intent on 
leaving Auburn for a professional deal. Of course, that did not materialize, and then no portal uh, deal here either. So you will have Joseph Gonzalez return to Auburn this year, uh, and, and so that's a big get for Tigers. Hopefully he can be healthy. And then also uh, you've got another Auburn Tiger uh, returning uh, this year in the form of Bobby Pierce, who uh, that one was not for certain, but – Again, a guy that uh, I believe did not get drafted. So, again, you're talking about guys that ultimately not getting drafted, making decisions. I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I, I with all the different portal deadlines and dates, I'm not sure if you could even get in the portal at this, at this point in baseball. Maybe you certainly could if you were a, a graduate and that sort of thing, but kind of lost track of all these deadlines and dates. But Joseph Gonzalez, Bobby Pierce, opting to return to Auburn after not getting drafted. So, a lot of roster movement there, guys, in a short amount of time. I know that, uh, obviously, we had the big MLB draft here the last couple of days, but you get three or four pretty important decisions for the team all in a matter of 48 hours. Yeah, the Sam Mongelli thing is interesting. A uh, 10th round, that's kind of a maybe he'll come, maybe he won't. Uh, and, obviously, he was the guy that Auburn wanted. But he's going to go ahead and start his pro career and, you know, more power to him in, in that case. But, the turnaround, immediately getting Javon Hernandez, uh, very much makes me think that Butch has been talking to this guy for a long time and says, look, we don't know if Mongelli's coming or not. If he does or does not come, we're going to be offering you that spot. And look, 397 is nothing to sneeze at. Power numbers aren't great. I think he had seven home runs last year, so he's capable, but definitely not what he's uh, known for. The thing that sticks out to me, though, is like you said, he walked 33 times, struck out 29. And if you can walk more than you strike out. You're a great hitter. Uh, 397 is a super impressive batting average. Uh, 49 RBIs last year, so a great player. And then Joseph Gonzalez coming back. You, you and I, Ryan, have talked about that a couple of times. I expected him to be drafted and, and to go on. And like you said, I don't think Auburn expected him to come back uh, if he got drafted. But his name was not called, so he's back on Auburn's roster. And now a pitching staff that was in desperate need of an ace last year uh, and thought they were going to be searching for a new guy this year, now has uh, the ace of the staff back. Now he's got to come back from that injury healthy. He, he's got to you know, be the same guy he was before he got hurt. But if he can do that, all of a sudden Auburn baseball it looks pretty promising next year. Yeah, you know, it, 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 and I think something that helped get um, get the Jack this uh, the the kid today to Auburn is that you signed his or you got the commitment from his teammate earlier in the in the cycle. Uh, it was outfielder Mason Manners from J- Jacksonville State, also signed with the Tigers about a month ago or so, right after the season ended, and so he's he's joining the staff with his teammate. And then, uh, you know, you, you've got the infielder Christian Hall from UAB still coming in, UAB, uh, a pitcher from UAB as well coming in, in a Carson Myers. And you've also got, uh, you know, the shortstop Cooper Weiss from Miami of Ohio. So, you know, you, you're losing a couple guys in the middle infield, but you're also getting a couple guys that are that have experience. And if I remember correctly, the, the, all, the guys that you're getting in from the transfer, not the newest, but uh, about a month ago, they're all were, were fairly decent at, at their prospective schools before uh, making the decision to come to Auburn when they hit the portal. So the Tigers are going to have to piece together that infield with some of these transfers. Uh, and you're still sitting there waiting to see if uh, some of the some of your recruits now are going to sign because uh, I don't know if you've gotten any official announcements there. But uh, you're, you're waiting to see if any of your top recruits are going to come back. I would not be shocked if they all go because they, uh, a lot of them were drafted fairly high. And so, 
I, I still do, though, have confidence that, you know, Butch Thompson and this, the staff can be able to uh, piece together through the transfer portal. They have been in the past couple years. And then on the Joseph Gonzalez, yeah, and, and you know, Ryan, you made the point. All signs pointed to he's gone, especially after you, you know, you got about halfway through the year and you said, are we going to, you know, they, they kept putting it off, putting it off. Maybe we'll get him back. Maybe we'll get him back. And about halfway through the year, they just said, yeah, he's, he's not going to be able to come back this season. You, all signs pointed to he's gone. Well, when they didn't get drafted, that kind of, you know, you, you didn't really think about it to start with. You're like, oh, well, he's just going to, he's going to sign somewhere. But he decides to come back, and, you know, it, it, it makes sense, like you guys said, uh, having that big injury last year and um, coming back, you know, he's got to build that draft stock back up because he's still got the potential to be a, a high draft pick and uh, a really good pitcher uh, going forward and, and a very draftable pitcher going forward. But I, I think the injury kind of uh, definitely dinked his, his reputation uh, with, with some of the scouts. And so he can come back next year, have a, uh, have a decent year, prove to the MLB scouts that I'm still the guy that you thought I was coming into this draft. Uh, I, I think that you'll see him go, you know, still get drafted fairly high uh, in in a, in a future draft next year. But it, it, that is really good that you get a guy back that you didn't think you were going to get back uh, that can kind of anchor that pitching staff as long as he can stay healthy. And then you can build around him because you, there's some promising pitchers on the staff that we, we've seen, you know, work this past year when having to piece things together. Uh, but now if you can get a, a, a really solid guy that can be your Friday night starter and you can work out everywhere else – uh, you've got a chance, especially with some of the other losses around the league. And I know the transfer portal changed that because a, a team like LSU that's that lost a bunch of big time names can go and replenish those um, in the transfer portal. But you, you've got a lot of talent leaving the Southeastern Conference this, in, out of this draft. And so if you can take advantage of, of, uh, of getting a guy back like Joseph Gonzalez, Auburn can be set themselves up in a really nice position going into next year. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think a underrated aspect of this is getting Bobby Pierce Bobby Pierce back because Bobby Pierce batted a three forty three last year. I mean that is great hitting. And granted, he only had five home runs, but you know he was making contact and he was he had a really good season. I don't know if he was supposed to get drafted or not, but just being able to re- retain a three forty three batting average, you know that's great for the offense. And Joseph Gonzalez, I mean that's a that's a huge pickup. Like y'all said, he was not supposed to come back. He was supposed to get drafted, but I guess the injury. I guess the scout said, you know, we need to see another year of work before we can take a flyer on you. So he does get another opportunity. But I remember back whenever he did get injured in February, everyone was like, oh no, that's really bad because he was supposed to be our best pitcher. And you saw early on that the pitching staff was less than average it was it was very bad but they were able to piece it together towards the end so to be able to get joseph gonzalez back who in 2022 had a seven and four record with a 3.2 era which is pretty good he um he was a sunday starter a lot i remember and he was pretty solid in that 2022 year so to be able to retain joseph gonzalez and he can really mentor those young guys who are starting to Take that next step towards being really good. And, of course, getting some transfers always helps because, you know, you, you can always, you know, fulfill a need, whether it be depth or it could be a starter. But, yeah, I think uh, I think Bobby Pierce is a huge return, and I think Joseph Gonzalez is a huge return. I think I think Auburn is looking – I know it's <laughs> it's a long time before opening day, but they uh, they seem to be looking pretty – pretty good maybe to make another uh, return to a regional maybe hosting but it's a long way till then so i'm happy 
Yeah, I, I think that the uh, contact part of this clearly they're they're getting and retaining some guys that uh, can can hit the ball hard. Obviously, not big home run hitters with some of these guys, but the Jacksonville State Javon Hernandez hitting nearly 400. I mean, that's a great contact guy, and yeah, he might not hit 400 in the SEC, but I still don't think he's just gonna go all the way down to be some 240 hitter or something like that. I think he's going to continue to be a good hitter. We know Pierce can hit in this league. Uh, you know, I think that with Joseph Gonzalez, really, if I was speculating on why he ended up not getting taken, because I believe that coming into the year he was getting second, third round type of buzz, if I had to speculate, I think the concern would be that not only was he injured all year long, but it actually wasn't like a Tommy John type of deal. And I know that sounds weird. Why would it be better for him to have the the more significant injury? Well, I think that all major league front offices will tell you, all evaluators will tell you, every pitcher is about expected to get a Tommy John surgery at some point. Like it doesn't even matter how hard you throw at this point or or the arm angle, that sort of thing. More than likely, you're going to have a Tommy John surgery. It's they, just the volume that they're throwing right. now. They actually would probably tell you they want you to go ahead and have a Tommy John surgery at, at some point. I mean, again, this sounds kind of absurd to say like you're you're actively okay with a guy having a nine to 12 month injury but i think their stance is if he's having other injury issues that are not related to what would normally be or become a tommy john surgery you're maybe looking at an extra injury prone guy so i think his health is going to be a very big deal next year obviously we only saw him one game this year but it was a rather stellar game it was five shutout innings that he looked every bit the part of an ace of a, of a college staff, even if only for one game. So there's going to be still pretty reasonably high expectations for him next year, and it is a big get for Auburn. Obviously, again, the, the health part is going to matter uh, incredibly, uh, and an incredible amount for not only Auburn wanting to take advantage of his skills, but also for him trying to get to the big leagues because I think the quality is there, but he's going to have to prove that he can stay healthy uh, throughout a year so Auburn didn't get the benefit from Joseph Gonzalez this year but they might ultimately still benefit even with the injuries because that's forcing him to to play another year which he will play at Auburn we're going to take our first time out of the show today back with more sports call right after this it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn i'm trevon reed former auburn tiger football player national champion you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontree, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here today on this Thursday. We're going to go to our Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today now. 334-887-341 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing much better since listening to Hound Tuesdays on my podcast uh, yesterday, guys. In fact, I'm doing so well that I'm in a tight squeeze right now uh, at Asshole Woman of Virginia. Wow. You, you've uh, you've wandered away from Fairhope then a little, while, a little yes, ways. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you guys just just broke it up for me. I mean, and uh, I, I wouldn't mind having two eggs uh, and some fries uh, from uh, Freeze, Virginia, I believe. Uh, yeah, two egg in, in Florida and then uh, yeah. Freeze, Virginia. Yeah, that's uh, uh, we had a lot of good ones on Tuesday for sure. And maybe uh, just sit down and eat them in Couch, Florida. I think you're about to get them all in if you, uh, we keep going like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a dog town around here. Okay, uh, you're going to get them all yeah. in then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I loved it. And Mayo, Florida changed its name in 2018 temporarily to Miracle Whip. Yeah, they did. Kind of like a, uh, a little marketing pool or something, yeah. Okay, I guess they were paid by Miracle Whip to do that, or how that come about? I, I, I honestly have no idea. I don't know. Okay, well, uh, enough of the those shenanigans. Uh, but that was hilarious. Thank you very much. Uh, was Brooks that did that? Yeah, uh, Brooks uh, Brooks ended up uh, compiling all those, and, and we, were, uh, we were just trying to guess them. Okay, well, let's move on, guys, real quickly, because I know my time is extremely short here. Uh, you guys are appreciated for that. Today on this date in 1930... What uh, really uh, impactful event occurred that has now occurred every year? Well, no, I guess not every year, but every, I guess, four years since then. On July 13, 1930. Something that's happened every four years. I mean, a World Cup? Very good. Yes. The very first World Cup was played, uh, and who won it? Who were the teams? Oh, I don't know. What, like Brazil or I was something? About to say, I'd guess Brazil. Very, very good, guys. You're in the, the ballpark. Well, uh, the first World Cup final uh, was held on this date, uh, and Uruguay defeated Argentina or Argentina four to two. Okay, yep, to uh, South American there. So, uh, if you didn't know it, you know it now. I know it's been around that long. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously I guessed correctly. So ballpark would have somewhere in there. Maybe I would have gone. I don't know. A lot of things could be a little bit older, and uh, I, I would have thought forties, fifties, or thirties somewhere in there. So I got a question for you guys because I thought about this, and I'm not smart enough to find an alternative name. But you know, rightly so, and we've been made fun of by Europeans and other countries that play soccer. You know, their game over there is actually is called football. It should be called football. They actually play. They use their feet. How? Did, what's the origins of why our game is called football instead of maybe handball? I I I, didn't, I don't know. Well, I there mean, there's there is a handball. Believe it or not, it's. I a, know there yeah, is. Yeah. But really, when you think about it, our feet are used very rarely, except for field goal kicking and place kicking, and that's it. Do you know what the origins of why our sport came about to be called football? Uh, I found, this is from WBOY, Why is Football Called Football? 
the exact uh, etymology of the word football is slightly unclear, but many historians say the term dates back to the late Middle Ages when it was used to refer to any sport that was played on foot as opposed to sports playing on a horseback. Oh. Okay, but why did the U.S. decide to call their game football, though? Because we don't use our feet for, like, soccer. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I was just wondering about that. Maybe I'll, I'll look more at it. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, the PGA uh, has been meeting uh, with Congress, the Senate, for the past several days. Have you been uh, reading uh, some of the comments being made in questions? Yeah, I mean, a few. I've seen a few headlines and and that sort of thing. I haven't uh, deep dove on on if there's any meaningful results yet tonight. I imagine they're just trying to. It's more of an exploratory stage. Well, there's actually a, now a, a deep investigation being made by the Department of Justice. Sure. Uh, to see if maybe there's been some uh, violation of antitrust here. But anyway, the senior writer here of this column uh, is Jay Buzzy from Yahoo Sports. I don't know if you. I've gotten to read his article, but uh, he mentioned that uh, one of the people appearing before uh, the Senate, uh, his name is Price, he said, quotes, we faced a real threat to live golf, which is 100% financed by the King of Saudi, would become the leader of professional golf. Well, okay. Now, people have been calling this a merger, have they not? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah. Okay. Well, I keep on reading, and... It goes on here, and it says that uh, – uh, I'm sorry. The PGA Tour, he said, faced an existential threat. And uh, they testified that the tour would not compete against the immensely deep pocket that the $600-plus billion PIF uh, had. And uh, then he went on to say, though, that this was not a merger, that – the live people were many investors. I said, wow, well, that's a bit of a change uh, because, uh, I mean, I, I thought that's what they were uh, they were doing. It was a merger. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on that? If, in fact, it's not a merger um, and the live people were only investing, why would they invest in the PGA, which is their rival? Yeah, I mean, again, we've uh, we've talked about some of these various things. Again, they just wanted their foot in the door uh, to be a part of the the power structure of the PGA Tour. And if you're the ones that are, are partially funding it, then then there are going to be benefits of that. And that's they've tried to get a foothold into various sports. They're going to keep trying to get a foothold in various sports. And so to them. Yes, they're spending a lot of money, but they get some influence with that money and they get some relevance uh, and some validity to being able to partially fund, I mean, the, the, the biggest golf tour in the world. Well, uh, well to me, it's contradictory, um, uh, uh, you know, comments here. Price, who is the official that was uh, speaking for the PGA Tour, noted that the PGA Tour was engaged in, quote, unsustainable battle that threatened our very existence, and went on to add that the new agreement is, quote, not a merger. Right. I know you just said that. But, again, they they, they still, I mean, they don't have to be fully merged to still fund. I mean, that's not, uh, that's doesn't have to be in the deal. 
Well, I'm just saying, if you're not a merger, then what is your opponent doing investing in you instead of just investing in their own? Because, in fact, he said, uh, without the live, uh, if they just continued the way they were going, the live was an existential threat, those are his words, to the PGA. But uh, moving on, uh, then other people are not too happy, again, with this ongoing, um, I, I guess, endeavor uh, to, to get together. Uh, Xander? Shoffley, is that his name? Yeah, Xander Shoffley, yeah. That's his name, okay. Anyway, he joined, according to Jack Milko's article, on uh, the betrayal bandwagon uh, during the, 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 uh, the Senate hearings. And uh, he says, uh, we, uh, he says, I, I want to play um, with the best players. And, uh, you know, but he says that they feel betrayed by the PGA leadership. Uh, so, uh, guys, I don't know if this is really still uh, a done deal or not. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it clearly does not sound like a, a done deal with all the committees that are getting involved, and um, again, the, the even some new reporting out on on what some of the ask were in the in the negotiating negotiating and that sort of thing. And uh, I mean, yeah, no, I think that they while they kind of rushed to press the agreement, it was not maybe as sealed or not maybe signed, sealed, and delivered as originally thought and and now that there's some sort of involvement by congress and all these different avenues it's going to take a lot more to be able to actually uh, finalize the deal and part of the agreement i didn't know this but it was in the uh, agreement the negotiated contract is that mr greg norman uh will be dismissed in his position as i guess he's the ceo what was he well so that was a proposed item that was not agreed upon so uh, yeah, that was that was what one of the things that the PGA Tour proposed, and uh, Liv did not agree to that. And then, uh, for example, Liv proposed that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy would own a Liv team and compete in ten of the Liv events, and that was not agreed upon by the PGA Tour. So there were some of the new reporting is actually stuff that was not agreed upon in the deal. Okay, all right. Um... So moving on, uh, I, I know the uh, baseball people who are returning. I thought that was uh, really encouraging. And then I saw where apparently a hot Pettiford has been now upgraded to a five-star, and he's the second highest-rated recruit behind Jabari Smith. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, no, actually, uh, I didn't catch that myself. I know that, again, they they uh, always start to look at different rankings and, and they re-rate guys and that sort of thing. And I know there has been – some some buzz and some momentum for him moving up, but I uh, did not see which site uh, exactly went ahead and did that. Yeah, this came from uh, Nathan King uh, article today, and um, he said, yeah, um, that apparently he's uh, been ranked above uh, 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 Hardaway, yeah, uh, Hardaway uh, above. He says he's right now the uh, five-star uh, prospect now is only the uh, – below uh, Jabari Smith in terms of uh, uh, rankings for basketball players at Auburn. So I said, well, that was pretty uh, sounding uh, upgrade and uh, uh, kind of commendation for him. All right, moving on real quickly, guys. Um, how about Mr. Cam Newton? You know he'll be eligible for the Hall of Fame pretty soon, right? I think uh, 2027, I think I want to say. Yeah. yeah. And so um, somebody on uh, the blog site, Auburn 247 Sports, Put up this question: Do you think that he would be a actual, uh, I guess, 
uh, electable candidate uh, for the uh, Hall of Fame. And then he put these uh, criteria down for Cam Newton. He's had the more more passing yards than Kurt Warner or Terry Bradshaw. Didn't know that. He's also had more passing TDs than Troy Aikman and the Jets' Joe Namath. Um, so I thought well, that was pretty interesting. Of course, he's never won a Super Bowl, but then neither has Dan Marino. What right. do you guys think of his chances of uh, getting to the uh, NFL Hall of Fame? Yeah, I don't know if the uh, the opinion may, may vary in the studio. I, I don't personally think the chances are very good. I know that some of their stats there can kind of make it uh, carved into an argument there, but we also got to remember a lot of those people that he's got more yards and more touchdowns and that sort of thing is in a complete different time period of the game. And, and what is, um, you know, we, we've talked about some of the, the vast, excuse me, statistical uh, disparities between the 70s and 80s and the way they played then versus the way they play now and how much of a passing league it is now. And you look at Cam's career, I mean, essentially it was, you know, an eight- or nine-year career. I mean, it was not incredibly long. Uh, they there was the MVP in there, which was a big deal. Um, but I just personally think that he needed to do it for a few more years, or if it was an eight or nine year career, it needed to be a little bit more dominant. It was a lot of fun, and there were highlights, and there was a couple really great years in there. But I don't think he consistently was a top three or five quarterback in the league year in year out, which would have been needed to to be able to kind of jump the line like that on a shorter career. So I, I, I love Cam, but I, I just don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I'm just reading some other stats. He apparently had more rushing yards than Steve Young or John Elway and Russell Wilson. Also had more rushing TDs than Thurman Thomas, Earl Campbell, didn't know that, or Terrell Davis. Yeah, the rushing, the rushing aspect of it is going to be the more impressive side of it because he was – breaking some records there for quarterbacks, and, and he was having some really big rush totals for for a quarterback. That's definitely – I think, I think honestly, that's probably the side of it you would want to argue more if you're arguing for him uh, to make the Hall of Fame. And, again, it's not like he had some bum career. I mean, again, there were some really good, some really good stuff in there, but the NFL Hall of Fame is, is, is tougher to make than, say, the Basketball Hall of Fame. I mean, you have to – uh, you have to be great for a long time, or you have to have a, a seven or eight year stretch that's just phenomenal. And again, there were some years in that seven or eight stretch because uh, I think he started about eight years for Carolina. Uh, there was some really good years in there, and the MVP year was obviously a big year, making the Super Bowl and all that. But I think again, I think he just needed he needed a few more really good starting years. Need to make it a little bit older because I think he was displaced as starter at age his age twenty nine or age thirty season. So. Again, for a quarterback, there's still there's going to be a lot of resumes statistically that we're going to compare to guys that are already in the hall from 20, 30, 40 years ago that are going to be favorable statistically. I'll give you an example. Like Kirk Cousins is going to stack up really well against a lot of Hall of Famers. I promise you, Kirk Cousins is not a Hall of Famer. So again, that's just the kind of the difference in time period, and you've got to kind of look at where these guys were compared to their peers. And Cam had a year or two, obviously, where he was up there with anybody, but still, in large part, was mainly not a top three to five quarterback in the league, and then again, did not have that long period of time. Fair, fair enough. You have a lot more than what you said. However, I also think about you know the teams he played for and played on. 
Panthers didn't really help him a lot either. You know, and he didn't have the most outstanding receivers. He was limited to who? Steve Smith and Greg Olson. That was about it, right? Well, I mean, I think if you're if you're having to argue that he didn't have enough help, then he didn't elevate those around him enough to be a Hall of Famer. Like, I think if you're a Hall of Famer, yeah, there's going to be things that maybe prohibit you from winning a title or that sort of thing. But, like, if you're a clear-cut Hall of Famer, then, you know, you're not going to be having to say, oh, you know, actually the teams he was on were really bad and, and that sort of thing. I mean, they in reality, I mean, they still had several playoff seasons uh, with him and – uh, you know, he was a, obviously a huge part of that. And, like, again, what you said is 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 real, but, again, I don't think that that's proof to say, oh, you know, he should be in the Hall of Fame just because he didn't have as much help as some other guys. I mean, there's there's still some, plenty of guys that, that uh, elevate others' careers or, or just play for such a long period of time that they play with a, a bunch of different groups of characters and, and players. Fair enough. So, quick question. I don't know the answer to this. Uh, I know in baseball you can only be um, – Nominate so many times, and after that, it's over with, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's like a ten year. It's like ten years on the ballot, and there's some stipulations and that sort of thing. And but yeah, is there any such uh, rule uh, regarding the NFL Hall of Fame? I'm not as familiar with it as it is. I know there's still like a Legends Committee that kind of still deals with players that are much older, that were much more, you know, 60s and 70s and and, or, and 80s era. Uh, so less modern era, but I, I don't know I don't know how long the eligibility lasts and the criteria before you you go into that that section of voting and that sort of thing. Okay, well look, thank you for uh, letting me ramp like this and uh, getting some information I wasn't aware of. So when do the when do the Thunder Chickens play again? Uh, two more games next Tuesday. Unfortunately, all the the voices that you hear for the most part, except for TP. Uh, will not be on the uh, on the team next week because we'll be gone, obviously. But uh, we should be having two more games next Tuesday. Okay, I was wondering. So, um, how many of you guys uh, will be at the uh, social media at the uh, SEC media days? Yeah, it'll be pretty much all of us again. It'll be myself, Brooks, Brant, Tom, and Cam. We'll all we'll all be up there. But you'll still be having the games, though. Uh, yeah, the the team team goes on. Team's not just a radio station team. Uh, team oh, goes thanks. on. Okay, well. I look forward to it. And will you be able to do live call-in shows next week or not? Yeah, we, we plan on it. Uh, we, we should be doing that. If uh, if there's something that goes wrong equipment-wise, then we'll get that message out. But we start, especially Monday, we have every intention of doing that. And if there's a change, we'll let everyone know. And do you know yet what the time will be for Auburn? I don't know what part of the day on Tuesday. I just know that they are Tuesday. There's four teams each of the first uh, three days, or I guess three teams Monday, four teams Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I think three more teams on Thursday. So I don't know what time period it is, uh, but, uh, again, it will be on Tuesday. Okay, with that said, thank you guys for your time as always. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sit on the couch, but not couch, Florida. And uh, you guys have a safe afternoon and evening. And until next time, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, see, appreciate your phone call as always. That is Retired War Steve joining us. On the Auburn Bank phone line. Brooks, what you got? Uh, quick research on the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So players are eligible for the Hall of Fame five years after they retire, and then they may, then they have a 20-year eligibility window to make the Hall as a modern-era player. As a modern-era, and then at some point they would label them like different era yeah. at some point maybe. And like, so they they you can be nominated to the Hall, obviously all 20 years of that. And then they, the selection committee narrows it down on the first vote to a list of 25 people. 
and then they do a second vote, narrow it down to like 15 to 10 people, and then you narrow it down again on a third vote to the five that get in. Very nice. Good uh, good research So there, 20 so. years you're on that ballot. You got a while then. That's uh, double again what it is in Major League Baseball. We're going to take our final time out of hour number one, back to wrap up hour number one right after this. is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaBoy, Brant Dontree, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here in this first hour on this Thursday edition of the show. About five or six minutes left in this hour, so we've got enough time to get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports today. We kick it off with Yadier Molina, who turns 41, a former catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yadier Molina is a 10-time All-Star, 9-time Gold Glove winner, and 2-time World Series champion. Yadier is considered to be one of the greatest defensive catchers of all time. Was also a successful hitter, though, with over 2,100 career hits and over 1,000 RBIs. He also won a Silver Slugger Award in 2013. Yadier Molina is 41 today. Wasn't it weird for on opening day for the Cardinals this year and not see him behind the plate? Yes. Yeah, it, it definitely was. I mean, he. I mean, it's it's odd. There are plenty. Even though you would think of all the positions in baseball, catchers would not make it as long. Yeah. They're they're pretty adequately protected and preserved throughout their career. They get scheduled days off and that sort of thing that you actually see several catchers end up playing to around age 40, just like you, you do any other position. So uh, he made it all the way to his age 40 season, and he turns 41 today, the last of the Molinas. DJ LeMahieu turns 35. Current New York Yankee was selected in the second round out of LSU. Go Tigers. In the 2009 MLB draft. LeMahieu would start his career with the Chicago Cubs for one season, was traded to the Colorado Rockies, where he would have a very successful tenure. Then went on to sign with the New York Yankees, where he is today. So far in his career, three-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove Award winner, and two-time All-MLB first-teamer, also a two-time MLB batting champion. DJ LeMayhew comes out of Bloomfield Township, Michigan, where he attended Brother Rice High School. (laughs) Go Warriors! Brother Rice Warriors. Brother Rice. Brother Rice. Brother Rice. Rice. That's like a... That that's like uh, uh, you you see on the uh, supermarket shelves. It's your ready rice. It's brother rice. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like it. And uh, DJ LeMay, he's been been ready to hit. 
yeah. most of his big league career. He has. Cody Bellinger turns 28 today. Current Chicago Cub started his career with the Los Angeles Dodgers and was very successful, winning the 2019 NL MVP. Two-time All-Star, a Gold Glove Award winner, and a Silver Slugger Award winner, and was the NL Rookie of the Year. This past all-season, he signed with the Cubs. Cody Bellinger is 28 today. Cody Love. Cody Bellinger hails from Chandler, Arizona, where he attended Hamilton High School. Go Huskies. Go Huskies. That's his nickname, Cody Love. I've never heard that before. Excuse me? Or Belly. Are baseball, you on baseball? Baseball reference, reference has oh nicknames. Oh my gosh! They have some of the Cody weirdest. Love. Sometimes weirdest they get wild on the nicknames. Some, yeah, some, some of them are very strange. There's if if you if anyone on any medium has called him something, they usually make the uh, the nickname. I like it. I want I want said, my nickname to be. You looked at me and said Cody Love, and I and I looked at you as if to say, did I just misspeak and call him Cody Love? I had no idea no. what you were. Referring to. Okay. Should I should I my new nickname be Brooks Love? Yeah. Yeah, I like Why that. not? Alright. You like Quest Love? Quest Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. I don't know. Just just spitballing here. Alright, and then David Thompson turns sixty nine, an American former or former American professional basketball player, played with the Denver Nuggets as well as the Seattle Supersonics, previously a star in college for NC State. Oh leading Wolfpack. the <laughs> leading the Wolfpack to its first NCAA championship in nineteen seventy four. Thompson is one of the eight players to score 70 or more points in an NBA game. He was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 1996. His career awards include a four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA first-team selection, NBA All-Star Game MVP, National College Player of the Year, much more. His number 33 is retired by the Denver Nuggets, and his number 44 is retired by North Carolina State. David Thompson comes out of Shelby, North Carolina, where he attended Crest High School. Go Chargers! Go Toothpaste. <laughs> yep, it's spelt like that. Or like Chargers. Or Chargers. So David Thompson turns 69, Cody Bellinger 28, DJ LeMayu 35, and Yadier Molina 41. Those are the birthdays in sports today. A lot today. of baseball today. Day before oh, yeah. we come back to baseball. We've been playing Immaculate Grid in the office. Um, it's oh, it's yeah. got to be a problem. It is. Uh, it, it's helped us be less productive. For sure, there's other forms of it, but right now I think the 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 most well structured is Immaculate Grid because it's it's hooked up to Baseball Reference, yes. so you can see all the other options that you got uh, that you could have uh, gotten. And we've been playing that in the office each day. It's uh, a lot of fun. It is. It really is. If you're a baseball guy out there, uh, they they do um, basically what it is is there's three it, it's a it's a grid three by three grid so you got three topics on the top three on the side usually you got several teams involved and then maybe a, a statistical category or something uh, or a, an award that someone won and you've got to match those two grids so it's like a Colorado Rocky who also played for the LA Dodgers or an Oakland athletic that hit 500 home runs in their career, that sort of thing. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it really is. We've been playing it uh, each day. And, and so baseball's kind of been on the, on the brain a little bit. You know, who's been tearing it up on immaculate grid, Justin Ferguson, our friend of the program. He's going Justin nine Ferguson. for nine. Yeah, I'm I know. watching. I know yeah. it's, it's, it's infuriating really. I yeah, gave, I gave him a follow on Twitter. He yeah. did not follow me back. <laughs> it, don't worry, he hasn't followed me back yet. Yeah, we, me and Brooks keep getting like seven out of nine or eight out of nine, so we keep falling uh, just a little bit short. That will do it for hour number one. TP, appreciate you being here, sir. 
I know uh, you'll be in studio for us next week yes, while we're meeting. I'll be days. fielding the phone calls. Yes, sir. So uh, absolutely uh, give TP some love next week. And, again, appreciate you being here today. Thank you all, as always. Uh, that will do it for hour number one. When we continue in the show, coming up in hour number two, we're going to start our SEC power rankings of the 14 football programs just ahead of SEC media days. Again, power rankings, so not necessarily prediction of 2023 or program prestige or anything like that. Just who's had a hot offseason. We'll start that about 4.30 today. That's coming up and more next. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Daughtry, and Brooks Childress on this Thursday edition of the show. As uh, we get set in a little bit, we'll have some SEC power rankings coming up at 4.30. Might take a, a good portion of the of the show from that point forward. I do have some more uh, roster news to tell you about, at least in the football world, with Auburn happening last night when uh, Demario Tolan, the linebacker transfer, uh, went back in the portal. Again, there were some rumblings of some uh, some personal stuff going on there. Don't know if any of that's really been confirmed, so I'm not going to speculate. But uh, for those wondering uh, what happened there, I, I do not believe that it's anything um, anything bad on Auburn or Tolan's end. I think it's just a, a family issue, from what I'm I'm understanding. Uh, so Demario Tolan uh, will be transferring a guy that was not necessarily slated to start, and uh, I, I don't I don't know where on the depth chart he would have fallen. Again, it's kind of hard to know. Uh, before you even get to fall practice because so many of these guys even uh, transferred late in the process too. Uh, and so you, you never know how the depth chart would have uh, would have come out. But uh, DeMario Tolan, the transfer linebacker, will be transferring again. And, um, again, presumably no no nothing malicious going on there, nothing really uh, on Auburn or his side wrong there, just, uh, just something that's needing to happen for, for family reasons. I uh, also saw this, Brant, come across uh, a few minutes ago. We both had our, our eyes raised uh, in the 3 o'clock hour, the new ACC uh, news, which uh, as we've continued to cover all the different TV rights deals, which all have seemed to come up kind of at the same time, all within a couple of year span here, all them kicking, all, all these different deals kicking in. And the latest part of it is from the ACC, where the ACC and the CW – 
have agreed to carry 50 games between football, basketball, and women's basketball on the CW uh, through the 2026-27 season. And that does start this year on September the 9th when Pittsburgh will play Cincinnati on the CW. This, I thought about this more. It shocked me a little less as I thought about it because um, this is through Raycom. And Raycom obviously used to have a hand in the SEC SEC when they would broadcast stuff on CW. I've actually recalled in, in years past, especially before the ACC network became a big thing, that you would see the occasional, if you flipped on your channel, you would see the occasional ACC game on the CW. So as I thought about this, this was actually maybe not as um, eye-popping as when I first looked at the screen and my mouth dropped open. I don't know if it's just because of the live element being on CW. CW's just become kind of the, the butt of the joke. But, uh, yeah, 50 games, approximately you know, 12, 13 college football games, and then uh, a bunch of men's and women's basketball game coming to the CW starting this year from the ACC. Yeah, about one football game a week. I figure it would probably be the same thing for, for the basketball games as well. And it's, it's interesting because we had heard the Pac-12 in connection to the CW – uh, because they still do they they still don't have anybody to broadcast their. They've games. still not agreed to a meteorite deal, which opens a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. yeah, but now the ACC agreeing with CW, and that takes what felt like the bottom of the barrel kind of off the table for them. Uh, the the Pac-12 doesn't really ha- have much going on right now. I, the but the ACC and the CW is a pairing that I don't think anybody saw coming, and uh, certainly a very interesting one. Um, yeah, I, there, there's a lot of jokes going around on Twitter right now, and they're way funnier than anything I could say here. So I, I just – I, it's weird that the CW is getting into sports broadcasting. I'll say that. Well, they, they've they had their run of shows that draw such little ratings. I mean, honestly, like they're probably realizing they could get more out of the, the sports space. I mean, that oh, is sure. part of it now. You know, we, we start to wonder, like, at what point is the tipping point of, of – networks and entities paying too much for product and too much for inventory and that sort of thing. And we wonder how much they get back off of this stuff. But, um, yeah, the CW was kind of out there as a Pac-12 option. You know, just reading off of what uh, Brandon Marcello is saying on Twitter, you know, the, the household reach is still something that, whether it's funny or not, but with serious stuff being on the CW, it's available currently in 99.5% of U.S. households via 203 local stations. That number will drop in September when eight stations go independent. That'll drop 13.9% of U.S. TV households. But the CW app has 90 million-plus downloads, which I guess I just did not realize uh, Brooks Childers is one of them. I'm actually one of them on the uh, on the Roku that I've got. I but think we use it for different things, though. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. What do you use it for? I watch the live a little bit. Oh, yeah, we do. I don't watch that. Yeah. Uh, but I I just had it to have it. There was a show or two that came on that uh, I used to watch, and I don't know. It just I don't delete apps. Most one of your of the favorite time. shows of all time was on there. Was well, on yeah, VFit, yeah. Originally, before I even downloaded it, Smallville. I was on there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what do you think of this, Brooks? Uh, it sounds like we went back in time. <laughs> it, it really sounds like we went back in time. Because if you remember, 
And I, I know the jokes are flying, but the ACC used to be on basically uh, was on Raycom. Yeah. And there was a lot of CW affiliates that had to, that were with Raycom Sports. I know there was other. I know at home in, in Baldwin County, Raycom had UTV 44 and CW 55. And so the UTV 44 was the SEC network. And then they did a little bit of ACC. And then Raycom with the ACC network, uh, the original ACC network was on yeah. the CW affiliate down there. And so it, it just, it, I mean, and, and what Brandon Marcello said here, the games will be produced by Raycom. It's like we're going back in time about five to ten years. Right. And so, you you know, people can make the jokes, but it's it worked before. You had the you had the viewership. And like like you said, Ryan, like Brandon Marcello pointed out, CW is available in 99.5% of households via 203 local stations. You can't get much uh, broader coverage than than that then 90, 99 over 99 percent of households in the u.s have access to your product yeah. meanwhile the pac-12 is going to be on like i don't know dog tv or something whenever they figure this out and <laughs> it'll be you'll, you'll you'll come home and fido's gonna be watching ucla versus usc volleyball or something <laughs> i don't know um no but, the, the the program before washington huskies football is an actual show about huskies that's right yeah. and it's it's just a husky <laughs> playing with a little squeak toy to get the get the dog's attention but it, it's i mean it it's a good you've got if you're the acc the biggest name in in sports is espn you've got your deal with them you've got the acc network uh that that's it's a pretty widespread reach not as wide as the sec network obviously but you know it's still you you've got your games on espn channels and then you're going to throw basketball and football onto the cw which like we said in almost every available to almost everybody in the country, I think it's a good move. I, I like it. It it and it also feels you know in in a culture that continues to praise um, nostalgia. And you know you you've had so many uh, points come out in, in different media's that you you throw it back to this and that you know we there was a few years where Throwback Thursday was a huge thing. Everybody oh Throwback Thursday let's 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 do this. You've got uh, Stranger Things brought back the 80s nostalgia. You've got all this, you know, the different brands bringing back old um, products that they they discontinued. It, it feels a little, you know, this feels like a nostalgia move where you're like, we were on Raycom for a while. We're coming back to Raycom. We're going back to our roots. It, it feels good. It kind of, it, it's a feel good where you're like, oh, I get to, like, some people, be, uh, like, people at minimum our, our age can be like, I, you know, when I first started watching the ACC, it was on Raycom Sports. So we get to go back to this. And so I, I like the move. It, you're, you're getting widespread attention, and you've already got to deal with the ESPN. So diversify a little bit. Yeah, you know, look, I think there's still a pretty clear difference here in what we were talking about with the Pac-12 and what you're talking about there with the ACC. I know there's like two, maybe like a pers- one person out there that's a Pac-12 fan. It's like, ha-ha, I got you. You're now saying the CW is okay. Well, it's because it's, it's in a different way. Yeah. This is not the main mechanism of which ACC games are going to be broadcast. This is a secondary. 2BTV is not the main broadcaster. Right. This is a secondary uh, watch here where you've already got the big stuff, which will be on ESPN, ACC Network, etc. And as you said, there has always been, uh, or for a long time, there was a package, as Jefferson Pilot was to the SEC, Raycom was to ACC, ACC. And so, as I was describing a few minutes ago, I can recall watching many an ACC game on the CW growing up. I will never forget North Carolina beating North Carolina State on a Giovanni Bernard punt return with like 10 seconds left. 
um, on 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 CW on one of those Raycom games. And so, uh, you know, I, I completely am good with this. Whereas with the Pac-12, it's like if this is the main, it's like live. If this is the main network that you're doing it on, then that is a pres- lack of prestige thing, and that is okay. So you're really going to have. Well, I guess it's not going to be USC anymore, but you're really going to have your Oregon and Washington game, whatever the best your conference offers at that time, Oregon, Utah, whatever, you're going to have that on the CW. You know, like, like that again, that, that part of it is is not as appealing, even if the reach is good. Now, there's I would still, to be clear, if we're, we're tearing this off on what is preferable, what the Pac-12 ought to be doing in terms of not being as incompetent as they have been, is the CW would still be a better option than streaming only because you still just heard the reach that CW has. Even when it loses 13% here in September, that's still 86% of households, 85 to 86% of households that it will have on TV, plus the 90 million downloads because it's a free app. It's not some paid subscription that people kind of go back and forth on, oh, do I want to pay for that? Or maybe I can do the free trial and get hop off of it and that sort of thing. And so that's why this is a different circumstance for the ACC. It's not as laughable as as what the, the Pac-12 situation would be. Um, and so I think that uh, when you're looking at the ACC side of things, um, this is just – like putting your it's it's what the SEC used to do, putting your like your fifth best something your seventh best something on uh, this network from time to time and also just by the way practically speaking giving some more space for your content because when you're competing with the SEC come 2024 for TV slots on ESPN and ESPN two and ESPNU when it's football season I'm telling you what's going to win out nine times out of ten. It's going to be the SEC. And then all of a sudden your stuff is being kicked to ESPNU or ESPN Plus, God forbid. And so you need some other streams to be able to put your stuff in front of the most people. So I think this actually makes a lot of sense because, again, you're going to run out of places to put stuff come 2024. This year, you know, is, is not as consequential for it, although they are, that's when the deal starts. It is this year as we mentioned with the Pittsburgh game. But, again, it is a different animal when you're just doing something to uh, just add to what you've already got. Speaking of the Pac-12, again, still no deal here. I, there was a, It was a few weeks ago that they said it was just going to be a few more weeks. Pac-12 media days are next week? Next week. Uh, same time as SEC media days? Uh, I think so. Or maybe it's later in the week. Well, I mean, the SEC takes up four of the five days, so... Maybe they start Thursday. Maybe they start. Friday. Maybe they start Wednesday. Uh, Vegas. It's going to be in Las Vegas. One day only, July twenty first. So it is going to be just next Friday. I, I'm not Media trying day. to be this this SEC homer here. Do it. But when your conference can get media days done in one day, and the SEC needs four, I think we're not the same there. I'm just <laughs> just just saying. Um, now look, I'm not going to contest. Pac-12 is going to sock some teams in water polo. I mean, they got it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just they, they are. But uh, one, the one day versus four uh, is a little bit different there. My my thought though was maybe that's when they announce it. 
maybe at Pac-12 Media Days, the commissioner comes out there. And it's like, all right, we've got it. We're on the Roku channel. We've got it. <laughs> Sir, we've got them. You know, I mean, there's that Roku. that type of thing. Um, We're available on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I would expect if we get past next Friday, you said it was Friday? Yeah, like? Friday the 21st. If you get past next Friday and still don't have a Pac-12 TV deal, maybe that's going to cause more angst because that's, that's just when you announce things. Like, it's media. It's for the media to consume. It's for everyone to consume. So you like to prop yourselves up. I mean, there's stuff coming out of Big 12 Media Days. Sonny Dykes kind of making fun of Texas A&M and Missouri for not having much success in the SEC. And then I think he made some reference to, like, I can't wait for the Rutgers-UCLA rivalry in the Big 10. You know, and so he's obviously jabbing at schools that obviously are, are newcomers and and that sort of thing. But it's a public posturing exercise. And so if the Pac-12 does not even have a media rights deal to posture about, what are they going to posture about? Oh, uh, we haven't lost anyone else yet. <laughs> we're hanging we, in there. We, we were rumored to be in the conversation for San Diego State, but they're not coming. So. Right. So I didn't know this would turn into a Pac-12 bash session. Brant, you want any, any in on this Pac-12 bash session that we're having here? Or? No, I think no. y'all are nailing it. I mean, as far, I, I mean, I kind of said it earlier. Is like you were scraping the bottom of the barrel for for TV services to buy your rights, and well, they went and signed a fifty-game deal with the Pac-12 rather than be your exclusive st- streaming service. It's kind of brutal. It's kind of brutal out west right now. This week on Spectrum On Demand. <laughs> hey, look, Spectrum. I, I hear a, that... What a spectrum, What a service Spectrum is. I hear that the UC Irvine Anteaters can provide $50,000 <laughs> of value. Maybe you should look into some Anteaters or something. I don't know. San Diego State said no, man. Yeah, that was a weird bit, too, where... Again, not that we need to spend gobs of time on San Diego State, but they had a letter to the Mountain West that was like, if we were to leave, (laughs) what would that look like? Could we do it a year early? And which, of course, the Mountain West, being a conference that's trying to survive on its own and trying to actually make some gains. I mean, look, any conference has a shot at being a playoff conference now. There's, There's six playoff bids that are automatic. And so the Mountain West is like, you know what? I don't think we are going to make it cheaper and easier for you. And so San Diego State was like, all right, fine. We're going to stay then. And the Mountain West is like, are you? (laughs) I mean, seriously, (laughs) I know that's not a very professional retelling of what has gone on, but that is essentially what has gone on, where San Diego State was just, in their minds, was just exploring what it would take to leave the conference and then ultimately decided, yeah, we're not ready to leave the conference and the Mountain West was taking that to mean, yo, you're leaving the conference. And so there's this been this bickering about if they're even going to be allowed to stay in the conference. I don't know. It's it's a little little tepid, a little 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 angst out there between San Diego State and the Mountain West. But yeah, San Diego State might have. I mean, that might have been the groundwork for them leaving for the Pac-12. But certainly, no public proclamation of that has been made, given the opportunity to, opportunity to do so. So I, I don't know 
what's going on there. But again, that's it stems from lack of TV deals. So going back to the original point of the ACC part of it, it that is because they are just strengthening the avenues to uh, be able to broadcast their stuff once the SEC takes over more of the space. Whereas the Pac-12 is trying to find a main partner to begin with. They're trying to find any space to occupy, and they have not done done that so far. We're going to take our first time out in hour number two. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and jump into the SEC power rankings. We've been talking football. Let's talk about some of these actual teams. We're going to start power ranking the SEC right after this. to the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger Tiger 95.9, Ryan McVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Dontry with you here on this Thursday. Time to talk some SEC football. Time to talk some power rankings for this offseason as we head to SEC Media Days next week. Under two months away. I think it's better when you say days. We'll be about 50 days away from yeah. actual SEC. It just feels uh, better. Full week one. <laughs> I know that there is the week zero coming up in about 44 days or so. So uh, it is it is getting closer. And so we're going to run through the power, our power rankings, and I'm sure they will differ a little bit. Our power rankings from 14 to 1 of the SEC programs as they stand right now. Again, this is not a necessarily a projection of how things will shake out this year. Just kind of building off of momentum from last season into this offseason and now coming into – the preseason is kind of how we're doing it. We're going to start at number 14. We'll work our way up to number one. It might take 30 or 40 minutes, in which case we'll be done early in hour number three. And knowing us, it will be much longer than that. It might take most of the rest of the show, if not all the rest of the show. We shall see. And, of course, if you want to get your comments at some point, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. We're going to start at number 14. This one feels like it should be the same across the board. I have Vanderbilt 
Does anyone have anything other than Vanderbilt? I have Vandy as well. What if I told you I had Alabama? I wouldn't believe then you. I don't You're think right. you understand you the assignment. You, <laughs> you shouldn't believe me, Brant, because I also have Vanderbilt. I mean, it, it's it clearly obvious there. They're not a. They're not the powerhouse of the conference, no matter what Clark Lee says. Um, they're not the premier program in the country yet. Yet, uh, but. <laughs> Um, it, it's, you know, I think Clark Lee's a good coach. I just don't know if he's the coach that would get them on the, what I'm going to call the James Franklin level that can get them competing for bowl games year in and year out. Uh, it, he's got some work to do and the SEC East just keeps getting more and more powerful. I think that Vandy's window to get back to, re, you know, back to bowl relevancy was a few years ago where, uh, Tennessee was, was down. Kentucky was, uh, you know, still in the middle of the road. The only team, the only two teams that were there was kind of Florida was, you know, sniffing around in Georgia. And that was your window. And they kind of missed it on the back end of Derek Mason. And so uh, it, it, it's going to take a little bit for them to get, get into that relevancy term, which I say relevancy middle of the conference. Yeah. I, and look, to be honest with you, the, the tough thing about Vandy is even if they have a couple years where they actually elevate themselves to the middle of the conference, that usually means that head coach is, is off to greener pastures. And, James Franklin. And we yeah, and really that's really the only example of that because that's about the only time they they even achieved that uh, more than just a one off year. Five and seven last year, they did have wins late against Kentucky and Florida, which kind of maybe they lament the fact that they did lose a close one to Missouri earlier in the year. That would have helped them become bowl eligible. They then got thumped by Tennessee and uh, Joe Milton at that point of the year. So uh, Vandy, again, nothing out of the ordinary from them, and that's why they're sticking at 5-7. and seven. We'll have previews of all teams in the SEC on the opposite side of media days. We'll, we'll break down the schedule upcoming and actually have more of a predictive exercise on the, the other side of SEC media days. But for now, we're doing the power rankings. So Vandy comes in at number 14. Who we got for number 13, guys? 13 is weird. I've got two teams kind of tied right here, and I guess because of their less stable situation, I'm going to put the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, they – Losing Mike Leach uh, in the way that they did is kind of unprecedented. We don't know how this team is going to react, but they were already towards the bottom of the SEC. Uh, they were climbing, uh, but you know, with a head coach just kind of dying unexpectedly. This there was there was no contingency plan uh, for after Mike Leach's death, and so they've elevated from inside. That's a good thing. It's very possible that this team rallies around. Uh, the guy who's going to be their interim head coach. Uh, I can't. Uh, Zach, Zach Arnett. Arnett. Zach is, Arnett. And he yes. is the head coach. He is no, the head coach. The interim. No interim tag. Okay. So <laughs> it's very possible that with uh, with Zach Arnett, this team kind of rallies around itself and uh, overperforms this year. But uh, right now, with everything surrounding that program, uh, I got to put them at thirteen. Uh, we're we're gonna start the differentiations early okay. in this one. There's okay. usually when we do these types of exercises, we're usually in you know we're we're kind of in unison for a little bit, and then we start once we keep getting into it a little bit more, we get a little bit of a differentiation. This is where I'm differentiating right now. I'm gonna say Missouri. Um, this is a Fair. that's a prove it year for Eli Drinkwitz. I think he's had some good guys, uh, good good solid recruits come in this last year or two, but I don't know if they're going to be able to save him this year. He, he's been able to 
work his way there. I thought last year after the the debacle that was Auburn versus Missouri, where it was just the game of who can screw up more. Um, it was there. You. It felt like that. Felt like the. Uh, what was a few years ago was 2016 Auburn LSU where everyone's like, oh, whoever loses this game, the coach could get fired. Gus obviously went on to uh, to last a few more years at Auburn, and it was Les Miles that got the axe right then, uh, right after that game. That's what it felt like in this past year's Missouri uh, Auburn game, but they didn't. It, it didn't end up being that way. It, it Eli Drinkwitz kept his job going into this year, but this is a prove it year for them. And I don't see them getting more than six wins this year. And I don't know if that's enough to save his job, especially with you. When you're Missouri, you've got to look at the future and you're looking at um, Texas and Oklahoma coming in. That is going to, uh, you know, right now, if you were Missouri, you're out in your, your area, neck of the woods and that in the Midwest, you are, are recruiting against Texas and Oklahoma, but your, your pitch that you could have won some battles is we're in the SEC. They're not, you can come play in a, the SEC. Well, you're losing that now. So I don't know what, what you've got to, to sell except for maybe getting better. And so I, I think Missouri uh, is that number 13 team right now. I just don't know how, how well they do, especially, like I said, their window, then they took advantage of it was that the 2013, 2014 year when everybody was kind of down except for Georgia. Uh, and they made it to a, an, to a couple SEC title games and they didn't, that's as far as they got. They didn't, they didn't go anywhere past that. And they've, they've kind of taken a couple steps back. So we're all on the same sports call team here, but uh, for this exercise, I'm going to go on Brant's team, oh. and I'm going to have State at 13. Look, this is not because of the win-loss deal. State was 9-4 and four last year. They went 9-3 and three in the regular season. If, if Mike Leach was still with us, then they'd be somewhere in the middle of the SEC. We'd be talking up another year, uh, Will Rogers, and, and ultimately maybe Zach Arnett and the scheme they have, maybe they salvage something this year. Um, maybe they end up better than we're giving them credit for. We're just kind of all writing them off as the worst team in the West. Maybe they beat some teams. I don't know. Um, I, it certainly wouldn't absolutely shock me because of Will Rogers and the experience he has. But uh, how can you have less momentum than what's happened to them? I mean, the, the, it, it, like honestly, I even thought about having a surprise putting them 14th mm. because it's just like that is a crushing feeling uh, to that program, to the call. I mean, it wasn't even just them. It was the college football world. We all had opinions. We all knew about Mike Leach. Uh, he was a famous figure in college football, regardless of the accolades and actually what he won or lost on the field. Like everyone knew who Mike Leach was. And so for that program to go through that, that's just a, a, uh, a humo- it's not even a dent. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge hole in that program. And, uh, Arnett being there, look, you kind of have to go with someone that kind of knows the players and, and that sort of thing. And I, again, I have, he was getting certainly credit for his, his defenses there. So again, it's not something just unbelievable to, to, for him to get that job, but still, there's really no telling. And they, they look again, as a team, they might end up better than Missouri this year. Fine. But I just think their momentum of having to deal with what they've dealt with puts them at or near the bottom of the league, and and that's why I have them thirteenth. If you if you want to look at some other metrics like portal rankings, you know they were forty first in portal rankings on two four seven versus Missouri's thirty six. You know if you wanted to get into the the roster stuff of it, but again, more than anything, it's just it, it's the Mike Leach dynamic. So for number twelve, 
as we progress on. This is where I had Missouri. I assume Brant, did you have Missouri at twelve? Yeah, this is also where I this is also where I had Missouri. And then did you have Mississippi State at twelve, Brooks? Or did you have someone else at twelve? Um, there was a couple teams that I was thinking about, uh, but I, I did have Mississippi State down there at the uh, at twelve. Um, I, I honestly thought about putting uh, Auburn down at twelve, but I, I think that Mississippi State is, is you know, it, it's like you guys said, you you had such a, it, it was such a shock to the program uh, that you've had that change, and I, I think that Arnett can do some good things. But it, you know, you, at that moment, you were not going to do a full-on coaching search, um, and so <clears throat> it's. It, I think he's he can do some good things, uh, but it, it's going to take a little bit. If he's if he's going to succeed, it's going to take a year or two to get his feet under him because this uh, this you know, like you said, Ryan, he was getting credit for good defenses there. But overall, the team was still geared toward an offensive, uh, toward for an offensive coach, an offensive head coach. They put more uh, emphasis on recruiting offense, and so with the defensive head coach coming in, trying to do some some different things, uh, I think it could take a year or two. So I, I'd have Mississippi State there at twelve. All right, and then Missouri at twelve for you, Brian. Yeah, Missouri is such a weird scenario to me. Eli Drinkwitz, we're we're reading right now. I believe this is Phil. St- yeah, this is Phil Steele's. Uh, 2023 college football preview magazine that we're, that I'm reading this out of, but Drinkwitz is three for three on bowls. He's been to three bowls in three years, but he still has a losing record as the head coach at Missouri. Uh, and he got extended anyway in this past offseason. That's just kind of bizarre to me, but like I said, stability is the reason that I have them over Mississippi State, and uh, part of that is that Drinkwitz has been there for a little bit, and he did just get extended, but like Brooks said, this is kind of a prove-it year for him. Uh, he has been less than stellar. I mean, it kind of keeping Missouri where they've always been as kind of this 500 team, maybe a little bit lower. So uh, Missouri is coming in at 12. I don't expect them to do much this year. Yeah, I've got Missouri at 12. Uh, They uh, strangely competitive when you actually look back through some of their games last year, they actually had several close losses and that might factor into some predictions for this upcoming year. But I mean, yeah, clearly they have struggled uh, to weather the post-Gary Pinkle years. I mean, they've just not been um, as competitive with Drinkwitz. It was honestly a little surprising. Didn't he get an, a, a little extension? Not some sort of big deal, but just like a yeah, like a year two, or two, two or three years, I think. Just to be like, hey, you know, we believe in you, wink, wink, you know. <laughs> Uh, trying to help the recruiting aspect of it, make it a stomach, uh, a you know, a palatable buy out basically but yeah I, I think there's there's no debating Missouri's down at the bottom of this league that from a perception standpoint from a momentum standpoint and probably from a predictive standpoint they're they're going to uh, have a tough time let's do one more because I think it's going to start to get a little bit crazier here um, and then we'll take our final break of the hour number 11 who we got this is I think there's a very clear bottom and a very clear top to the SEC I think with this selection, we're now going getting into a very muddled middle. Uh, I think these next six, seven teams, are, there's going to be a lot of debate between us. Right now, I'm going to go with Texas A&M. I think that they are a team that had super high expectations coming into last year, and those expectations were not reached. They were very bad last year. They have a coach that they are on the hook for a lot of money for. They brought in Bobby Petrino, who's got all kinds of baggage. They have so much talent, but so much of it is left. 
the expectations are lofty, and I just don't think they're going to get there. And right now, you know, it, I, I've talked about vibes before. The vibes are bad. The vibes are really bad coming out of College Station. Number 11. So I've gone Vanderbilt, Missouri, Mississippi State. I'm going to say Florida at 11. Hmm. I, I just I, – I think that uh, – I, I think um, – coach name Billy Napier Billy Napier thank you I, I think Billy Napier it, it at some point can get this going he had a, a very successful time at UL Lafayette I just don't know if they're going to give him time down there and it just it, it's it, it feels like uh, and obviously we're not a Florida talk show so we don't know the whole vibes around um, uh, around the program right now but it just feels like from an outsider's perspective that everybody's kind of already the, the fan base is already looking at it like all right who's gonna be our next guy because he may not do it he's had some positive momentum on the on the recruiting trail in, in recent weeks I'll, I'll give him the credit for that but currently right now the status of the program I don't know what they're gonna do this year I, I don't know if they're gonna you know I, I think I could see them getting around seven eight wins this year but I don't know what you know I don't I don't know what they're going to what their ceiling is and what their floor is uh, without doing a big deep dive into it it just I, I just don't like the, where the program is right now after the what was left with the after Dan Mullen left and what Billy Napier's had to try to clean up hasn't done a, a really top-notch job and it just feels like there's not a lot of positivity at, um, around the current uh, status of the program. And the f- going forward, like I said, they've got some uh, some recruits that have they've made some splashes here the last few weeks, but that's not this year. You're not going to see them on the field this year. Uh, you may not see them on the field next year. And so I, I got put Florida down toward the bottom at 11. Yeah, no, I, I certainly think that's reasonable. Uh, I'm again uh, with Brent. Uh, I've got A&M 11. And look, this is, again, why we're doing the power ranking of it. It's kind of the measure of the, I don't even want to say the expectation, just the measure. And I want something more official than vibe, but like it, <laughs> but like it is. What's the vibe, uh, man? I mean, it, it is kind of the measure of how the program is feeling, how healthy it feels. And look, they continue to recruit pretty well, but they parlayed a number one class, which again, I, like I don't, I don't want to expect that a number one class the very first year after that means you're the number one team. That's not how that works. They're a bunch of freshmen, but they can't be five and seven. Like they just can't, you know? And I I get that Auburn was having uh, a a religious experience with Cadillac Williams uh, entering for after the failed Brian Harson tenure. But also, it's just like if you were to say to. Texas A&M in a bottle, yeah. You're going to lose to a team that fired its coach that did not get bowl eligible on the heels of having a the the nine-win season, which was the nine-and-one season, and an eight-win season, then the number one class, then that. Like, that's just horrible momentum. And the Petrino thing, it's a huge swing. And I, it's not necessarily a good swing. Huge swings are not necessarily good swings. Sometimes... You hit it 450 feet, and it's this this beautiful thing. Sometimes you strike out, and that's clearly they knew they know they needed a big swing with their coordinator hire, but that doesn't necessarily mean it gives them momentum points. It just means that they recognize one of the issues. So I do have A and M at 11. Look, their season they have a wide range of outcomes this year. We'll get to that uh, at some point down the line. But I think momentum wise, where the program is and and the, the anxiety around the program from 
spending all this NIL money and not getting much from it the last 12 months or so, look, that puts them down towards the bottom of the, of the league, although I agree that it is a clear tier above the 12 through 14 tier. And this, I, I don't know, about 5 through 11 all kind of gets muddled for me, and we're going to continue to go through that. We're doing the SEC Power Rankings back right after this short break. Sports Call Crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Brent and Brooks with you here on this Thursday. About five minutes left here in hour number two. We're running through our SEC power rankings as we get set for SEC media days coming up next week. Uh, got really the whole crew coming. Uh, us three also have Tom Peavy and Cam Berry all there. Uh, so we'll be mixing and matching different interviews. Brooks is already hard at work getting some interviews lined up. We're planning on having a lot of good content throughout the week in SEC Media Days. Listen, I won't give away who we've already got lined up, but if you've listened to the show in the past, we've got a familiar voice coming back uh, on the on the airwaves next week already. Absolutely, and we're, we're going to have a lot of them for sure. So uh, we got through number 11 on the other side of this break, we'll pro- or the other side of that break. We'll probably only have time for one more ranking here, so we'll get to number 10. Again, I've had Vandy, Miss State – I could say their name, Mississippi State. I wrote it, Miss State. I don't know. Just I read the teleprompter. Whatever he put on the prompter, he reads. Don't do it. Don't mess with it. Uh, Vandy, 14. Mississippi State, 13. Missouri, 12. Texas a and 11. Brant had the exact yeah, same the thing. the exact same thing. And then Brooks had Vandy, 14. Missouri, 13. Mississippi State, 12. And Florida, 11. What do we have for number 10, gentlemen? Uh, for number 10, I think this is where I'm going to slot in Florida. Uh, Billy Napier, when he got hired, preached patience. He said, hey, this is going to take me a little bit. Well, it's been a little bit. You've got you've had time to get your guys in there. You've had time to make a serious difference. And, yeah, last year you had uh, that big opening week win uh, over Utah, and everyone talked about, man, Florida could be really good. Anthony Richardson, what a marvel he is. And certainly he was an incredible player and, and you know, was drafted, what, fifth overall, I think, by the Colts. Uh, and ex- is expected to be a game changer in the NFL if they can mold him and shape him correctly. But it, man, the rest of their season wasn't great, and now they've lost Anthony Richardson, their superstar. And you know, I I don't know who else coming back for that team, but you've lost the biggest names, and Billy Napier's been a little bit disappointing. And I mean, Brooks talked about it all uh, in the last segment, so I'm not going to rehash everything. But Florida. You know, the, the expectation for them to be a consistent contender uh, is now, and Billy Napier has just not shown that he's going to be able to do that yet. 
Number 10, I'm going to go with uh, the team that you guys just mentioned a moment ago, Texas A&M. Um, I, I do think that they've got a chance to rebound here this year. I, I think that uh, if they've got a chance to take another step forward. I, I, find, like, I, I don't know what's going to come of the Bobby Petrino hiring as offensive coordinator. I think you're going to, you've, you've started to get into that point that A&M is, uh, that Auburn was in a few years ago with Gus Malzahn where you're asking Bill, uh, Jimbo Fisher every single year, who's calling the plays? Because now if you're bringing an offensive coordinator, you're saying, Bill, uh, Bobby Petrino, you're calling the plays. We're molding our offenses together. You're calling the plays. Well, if it works this year, uh, or if it you know it moderately works this year, and then Bobby Petrino is uh, you go into next year. Well, I'm calling some plays. Or if it doesn't, work, I don't know what. It, it's it's getting confusing, and A and M. I like their potential. I, I still think Jimbo Fisher's a really good coach. Um, I, I think he's got a chance to rebound it. But coming off of that year last year, and it's like you said, Ryan. You you went into the uh, game late in the year against an, an Auburn team that, again, was riding the, the emotional high of, of Cadillac Williams being there. But you still went to that game and you lost it. Uh, and you're, you don't, you're not in a good spot right now if you're Texas A&M. I, I think that they've, like I said, they've got a chance to go up, but I can't put them farther up right now because of how they finished last year. And there, there hasn't really been a lot of you know, stuff coming out of A&M in the spring and this uh, summer workouts that said that everyone's like, oh, they're back. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and same thing with Florida, who I've got number 10. Uh, Brant and I have the exact same thing so far. Um, look, the, the A&M bit, the, a sec, another second on that is, like, they care so much. They're getting so little out of their resources that they're expending. And it goes to show you that it's not always just money-related because there's other aspects to it. But for all the teams in their space from a, from a win-loss-wise, they have the best facilities. They have the most money. They have as much desire as anybody. And they're doing a lot or they're doing nothing with a lot. And that has been continually uh, not shocking because still, their history is not something special. But it's just for a team that has tried various different ways to elevate themselves. A 100,000-seat behemoth of a stadium. I mean, they check a lot of boxes of what you're looking for in a modern college football program. But they have just not checked the win-loss box. And that's the most important box to check. I've got four to ten like Brant. I just think that they've started to steady the ship recruiting-wise. I think better results coming out of there. I think they were 13th in the 2023 cycle. They were top 25 in their portal edition, so fine, but also Florida feels they're capable of more. I think with Napier in year two, there's expected to be a leap. Another reason why they're towards the bottom of the league, listen to how they finished last year. They finally lost Florida State, who'd been an ailing program. They still had pretty good success on Florida State post-Jimbo Fisher and lost to Vanderbilt, remember. Uh, that was the next-to-last game of the year. So they lost two in a row, and it's not that it was two in a row because that happens, but – Losing to Vandy there really took any steam out of what was left uh, out of that season. We are out of time for our number two. We're into the top ten of our SEC power rankings coming into the 2023 season. We will continue with our list on after this timeout.
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. We are power ranking the 14 SEC football programs. I set a number there. You know how many there are. That number will change 12 months from now. So this is the last time we'll be doing an off-season power ranking with just 14 members of the SEC. We've gone through 14 through 10 so far. And if you missed any of that, you can go check it out in the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast and join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. I know I enjoyed a great vanilla Coke last night. I enjoyed a great Coke at lunch. And uh, there we go. Uh, I'm always a vanilla Coke guy when I go to the movie theater. And... If I don't get my vanilla Coke, then I'm sad, and I pivot, and I panic, and uh, yeah, then it's less than ideal. But fortunately, those machines are always up and running, and next time I go, they surely will not be now that I said that. Anyway, (laughs) we've gone through 14 through number 10 so far, so on to number 9. Again, a reminder that Brant and I had the same 14 through 10. We had Vandy, Mississippi State, Missouri, Texas A&M, and Florida number 10. Brooks had Vandy 14. He had Missouri 13, Mississippi State 12, Florida 11, Texas A&M 10. We're getting into the middle of the conference now with number nine. Brant, we'll start with you. Who do you got number nine? Yeah. I'll, or who I'll, do we have number nine? I, well, yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and preface this as saying nine, six through nine, you could put any of them in any of the other places, and I would absolutely understand. This is where it gets incredibly jumbled. But I went with Arkansas. I uh, had a very poor end of the season. Ryan's laughing. Makes me think he's agreeing. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, I went with Arkansas because they had some promise in 2021. Last year kind of fell flat. They were expected to make some noise, and boy, they just didn't. They didn't have as good a season as they had in 2021. Sam Pittman has a lot of promise. People really like the guy, and I understand why. I really like Sam Pittman. I think he's a good coach, but I'm wondering how good a head coach uh, he can be. They were expected to compete with Alabama last year, and they ended up losing a paycheck game to Liberty. Uh, they were not a very good team. And, you know, this is another team that K.J. Jefferson's coming back. Yes, he's a good player. Yes, they have uh, Rocket Sanders back, and both of those guys, pretty good players, pretty great college football players. Uh, But I'm wondering how far can they go with Sam Pittman. So I'm going to have Arkansas at nine. Brooks? Oh, this was one. It's not not a a tooth-pulling here. I mean, you you can – I know. Okay. You can disagree, and yeah. we'll, we'll still be your friend. <laughs> I know. Um, 
I, I, you know, in this in this spot, number nine, I was thinking I, I was in the same camp as Brant. There was a couple teams here that I could have gone with, um, but I, I think I'm gonna, I, you know, this is I'm, I'm making the decision right now as as we speak. I'm gonna put Auburn there because I would have put Auburn a little bit further down coming into uh, out of last off season into this uh, spring. If you'd asked me in December, January, what I would put Auburn, I would put them lower uh, because of the momentum they've gotten from recruiting, I move them up to, to that nine position just inside the top ten. I think there's a couple teams that, yeah, even though you know there, there there's a couple teams that didn't finish the year great, um, I still want to see what Auburn does on the field with some of these new guys uh, uh, coming in from the transfer portal and, and some of the new recruits that, that are on campus now. And so I think they've got they're like Texas A&M. They've got a they've got a chance to go up here uh, over the next uh, few months as the season gets going. But uh, right now I'd, I'd put them at nine. There's just a few more teams above them that I I, I rank just a little bit better. I, I understand it. Uh, I certainly think the dynamic of Auburn's offseason has made it such to where they it, they've moved to a place where clearly they're above. Or it, to put them power ranking wise, you're putting them above teams that they were not better than last year, yeah, and that they may or may not be better than this year. So it is an interesting place to put Auburn. I know it's coming up soon for all of us, but uh, I like Brant have Arkansas number nine. Uh, it's just that last year they did take a brief step back. It was not this large, you know, alien step back where you know it's just. It's hard to figure why it went so south, but they were a nine-win team in 2021, and they were a a seven and six team last year. So they took a step back there. Uh, you know, to their credit, they have won their last two bowl games. Uh, they beat Penn State back in the Outback Bowl two years ago, and they had a one of the most fun games of bowl season, quite frankly, when they played Kansas to a 55-53 game. Uh, in the Liberty Bowl, and so they did have that for them. But overall, I mean, it was a a disappointing campaign. Again, the A and M bit to me just changed their equation. They were that was the fourth game of the year. They had had uh, a, a win over Cincinnati, who was preseason top twenty uh, top twenty five. They had beaten South Carolina, and then that doink in the A and M game changed things for them. They then lost to Bama, and then the really tough one was they lost to State by a lot. Um, the Liberty part, too, okay, I get it, but we also know Liberty was batting above a normal Liberty team the last couple of years. And then Arkansas also played a heck of a close game with LSU. They lost 13-10, to and then they lost to Missouri last game of the year, 29-27. There was a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda last year, which still should give people some hope for this year, but I just think that momentum-wise, a lot of close losses is a lot of disappointment, again, off a team that was a nine-win team the year before. Portal-wise, they did fine. Top 15 portal class this offseason, so they had some good gets there. Recruiting out of the high school ranks was nothing special. So this is the point in the rankings where we're starting to starting to turn from negative to neutral and, and starting to turn towards positive momentum. I think Arkansas overall is just neutral momentum. I think that they, again, had a little bit of a step back from a season-wise, but you can understand the the close proximity of some of their losses. And then again, like I said, I think their offseason was fine. It was kind of a win to get K.J. Jefferson back. He could have left. He he could have tried. He could have, I mean, heck, in this day and age, could have hit the portal. 
and gone somewhere with a, be- a better, bigger chance of winning or something. I don't know. I mean, things could have changed for them. Ultimately, they are replacing a lot, though. They're in a neutral position for me there at number nine. All right, number eight. I'm going to start with Brooks. Uh, we'll see if this mixes up, <laughs> if, if Brant and I have something Again, different at I, eight. I'll be shocked if all of us have the same four or five in a row here. Gosh. You so, see, you put me on the spot now. I, there's a team that I want to put lower, but I don't know if I need I, – I, I don't know if I want to put them this low. Put them lower. I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to put number eight. I'm going to put Kentucky. There you go. Um, okay. Right. I, I I like what the Wildcats did bringing in Devin Leary uh, for their as their quarterback from NC State. I, I think that he's got a chance to be one of the better quarterbacks in the conference, but I just don't know what else is up there around them. There's not a lot of buzz around Kentucky this year. Um, I, I just don't know if there's anything else there. Uh, I would I I because of Devin Leary, I'd like to put him a little bit higher, but like I said, I just don't know what else is there. You're you're now in an SEC East that contains Georgia that you've had to go up against every single year. You are finishing second in the SEC East to Georgia every single year, and now Tennessee is. It feels like Tennessee may be back, and now you're going to finish. You could finish below them, and so I, I and. You know, if South Carolina keeps uh, their momentum rolling right now with Shane Beamer, maybe you trip up and finish below them, and that puts you fourth in the East, all just like that in the span of two years. Um, but I just, I just don't know what else is up there besides Devin Leary right now to be excited about for Kentucky. Grant, see at number eight, I had Auburn. I'm we have a first difference. Wow! Okay. Wow. Look at that. I'm going to put the Auburn Tigers. Uh, it, now I, I understand the off season's been great. Right now you have the unknown of a head coach in, in his first year at your program. I know what he's done at other schools. Um, he's done some good and some bad. Uh, I, you know, I, I've made my thoughts on Hugh Freeze known, but right now the vibe of the program is that he's, had, he's moving it in a better direction than where it was, uh, which is an incredibly low bar to clear, but he has at least cleared it. Uh, wh- what I'm going to say is right now a lot of the excitement around the program is that Y'all have heard of Schrodinger's cat, right? You've got a cat in the box, and there's a vial of poison, and if the cat is drunk from the poison, then he's dead. But you don't know if the cat has drunk from the poison yet. So while that box is closed, that cat is both living and dead because you don't know which one he is yet. Auburn doesn't know if Hugh Freeze is a good coach or not yet because he hasn't coached a game. You haven't opened the box. That analogy hit too close to home, Brent. I'm sorry, you have a cat. Dumpling is not in a box with poison. Dumpling is not in a box with poison. That's right. So... (laughs) There's a lot of unknown, and there's a lot of allure in the unknown, right? This is a guy who has not failed you yet, so it's very possible that he never will. Uh, Now, will he at some point? Yeah, every coach loses a game. But right now, a lot of the excitement is behind the fact that this guy has some promise. He's recruited well in the offseason. He seems to be doing well in high school recruiting. So, But Auburn still had two losing seasons in a row. And they are still not where they need to be in terms of talent to compete in the SEC and certainly not on the national scale. So while Auburn is certainly moving back to where they should be, I'm going to put them at eight. So, again, we're all hovering around some of the same teams here. I do have Kentucky number eight. Uh, the Devin Leary bit, Brooks and I finally I, agree. I was going to say, you, you asked me to go first this time, and now we agree. So there you go. maybe it's whoever you go first Yeah, with. there we go. Um, Keep coming to me. The, the problem is neither of you can agree with me on number seven because yeah. you've both already said who number seven is. So we'll try to get <laughs> number six. But, uh, but yeah, I have Kentucky at eight just because, to me, they're the epitome of stagnant. And, look, there's nothing wrong with what Kentucky is doing. They're Kentucky football 
and we've all had the bit about Mark Stoops and his consistency. I just think the problem for Kentucky is that this is kind of who they are, and there's really not going any above it for them. Like They're not going to magically go win the East this year. Then the divisions will be gone, and they're not going to magically bolt into the top four or five in the SEC once Texas or Oklahoma joins. So I just think the momentum of the program is just kind of stagnant, It's and it's not a horrible place for Kentucky to be in. If we're doing predictions, maybe they are higher than eighth this year, but I'm saying momentum-wise – they have not really gained or subtracted from that. The Devin Leary piece of it was nice, but I don't think it's really an incredibly telling sign if like NFL evaluators were taking Will Levis in the top five, ten, et cetera, and that team went seven and six last year. You know, and it's it's kind of the same conundrum with Florida and Anthony Richardson's like, all right, on one hand, the league is telling you that these guys are really great dudes, but for you guys, like you didn't do anything substantial with them. So like is you know, is that a good or a bad thing at the end of the day? So I, I have Kentucky right right dab in the middle there. They had a, a decent portal class too. Uh, but again, w- with the Leary bit, you know, that's something predictive-wise when we get into it. I think there's things there that could help them win out over some of these other East teams. But uh, ultimately, I've got them at number eight. I'll go ahead and go first with number seven because it's a team that's already been said by both of you, and that is Auburn. So I have Auburn number seven. And look, I think that clearly if there was uh, Brian Harson still here or if there was a coach that did not salvage recruiting in the way that Hugh Freeze did, they would clearly be around number 11 or so in the league, maybe even number 12, depending on point of view. Uh, but I think that the momentum here, look, I'm not trying to, I know that we're in Auburn. It's most tempting for people in Auburn to sip Auburn Kool-Aid, and I get that. Uh, but I think that Again, when we factor in ceilings and we factor in what it means to be churning in a positive way, I think that's above churning in a positive way for Kentucky standards. I think it's it's better than churning in a positive way what Arkansas is doing, who you know took a step back with similar players last year. I it does not mean that Auburn is necessarily better than these two teams that I put them right above in Kentucky and Arkansas. I just think their momentum is better at this time, and that's what a power ranking is. And so I think that when you're looking at what Auburn has done in the offseason, and look, some of it pretends to even beyond 2023, right, and and how relevant that is to a 2023 power ranking, you you can certainly debate. But I just think that to get to a class ranking, that was basically where all these other schools were, despite having been so far behind them, I think that, again, is why it's a little bit of a bigger hot streak. What it will mean on the field, I do not know. And that's a part of the predictive element that we'll get into on the other side of media days. But uh, I have Auburn at number seven, right dab in the middle of the SEC uh, because of the, the vast momentum. Even Okay, look, and, and, and this may not do anything at all for some people. It might actually make you hate it worse. But if, like, if someone national like Paul Feinbaum is saying, yeah, I'm really impressed with what Hugh Freeze has done and what Auburn has done in this offseason, it's like, yeah, that's probably a pretty good sign. Like Paul Feinbaum does not have to give teams love that don't deserve love. I mean, he, he has irritated every fan base at some point. Uh, I think it's a good national indicator, too, that, that Auburn has done a quality job of getting on the right track. What it will mean when loss-wise, we have absolutely no idea. But I just think that ranking-wise, they are starting to move up the rankings in terms of momentum. Brant, what do you got for number seven? For number seven, I'm going to talk about a team that you two have already talked about. This is where I have the Kentucky Wildcats. I think Kentucky is 
it, like you've said, Mark Stoops kind of has them playing up to their potential. I don't know how much higher they can go than, than what Stoops has. Like Ryan said, their ceiling is lower than most of the schools in the SEC, but he has Kentucky fans excited about playing football, and that's tough to do. He's going back and forth with John Calipari about whether or not Kentucky is a basketball school. Uh, and, you know, he's got some of the fan base agreeing with him, which, you know, five, ten years ago, I don't think any of us, I, all of us would have laughed at such a concept. But uh, Kentucky bringing in Devin Leary, they have a clear starter at quarterback. They have a coach that has some level of expectation that is reasonably higher than what Kentucky is used to. So I don't think Kentucky is going to be competing for the SEC East. Like you said, Ryan, I don't think they're going to be competing for a playoff spot uh, anytime soon. But they are a team that is uh, kind of playing above their head right now and a coach that has had them doing that consistently. So Kentucky comes in at seven. I would like to reiterate that what you guys have said, uh, and I may take this a step further, my five through 12 this year could fluctuate very, like teams could move around quite a bit. I, I think the, the top four teams in, in the power rankings, or at least mine, are the clear top of the league. And I think the bottom two, which is Missouri and Vanderbilt, are clearly the bottom. I think everybody else has a chance to move around in this. Yeah, absolutely. So my number seven is the Ole Miss Rebels. Because of the way they finished last year and because of the way that you don't, you know their quarterbacks there, you know Jackson Dart's still there, you know you've got some good quarterbacks, but you don't know who's going to be the starter. Um, and I think Lane Kiffin, after the way last year finished, and it, you know Auburn, you know the Auburn rumors got in there and it, it kind of distracted everything, and they, they sputtered to the end. Uh, after you beat Texas A and M, you lost to Alabama, which is understandable, and you lost to Arkansas, Mississippi State, and you got blown out in your in your bowl game to Texas Tech. And so uh, I think that they've got some work to do. I think Ole Miss can get right back up there to just on the edge of that top four teams in the conference. Um, to to that five or six spot, but right now I think uh, I think Lane Kiffin he's got talent there, but I think he needs to build things back up a little bit and say, hey, last year's ending is not who, where the program is going. This is who we are as Ole Miss. We're going to get back to that uh, eight to ten win football team uh, this year, and uh, uh, that's why I'm going to put him at seven, just because of the way last year kind of ended. No, that makes sense, and we'll go ahead and do number six here because it flows well and uh, flows well to have a top five when we come back. I had Ole Miss number six. Uh, I think the points you just made were uh, completely valid there from a standpoint of they were on such a great path in the middle of the season, really kind of late in the season at, at that point. They were uh, at, at that point eight and one coming into the Alabama game and ranked number 11 in the country at that time, power ranking wise, they're probably like third in the, in the league, but they then dropped the final three plus the bowl game. So lose their last four. There's a little bit of, are you in or are you out with Lane Kiffin? It just kind of deterred the momentum and stopped it uh, from going in such a positive way. you know, their, their portal stuff, their portal recruiting was still quite good over the off season and I think that high school-wise, they've still maybe been a little bit more on the disappointing side. You know, this will be another big year once we start to predict everything. This will be another big year for them because of that quarterback battle, because of how good Quinshawn Judkins is and, and that sort of thing. But I do just think from a momentum standpoint, they hit a pretty, pretty palpable wall uh, at the end of last season and just kind of quieted some of the great stuff they had been into because they had that 10-3 and three season in 21. 
Then again, we're eight and one. I mean, that was an eighteen and four stretch of Ole Miss football. That's that's not very common. But again, uh, the the end part of it just kind of rubbed I think everyone the wrong way and got everyone a little bit confused what was going on. And and so yeah, I've got Ole Miss number six. What do you guys got for six? Uh, my six is a team that you guys have both already mentioned. Arkansas, I got at six, and the only reason I have them that high is because of K.J. Jefferson. I think he's one of, if not the most experienced quarterback in the league. I think there may be one quarterback, maybe two, that are better than him coming into this year. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, they they it's, they it's they finished the year. Eh. There was, they, they, you guys, like you guys hit on when, when you talked about the Razorbacks, they had high expectations last year. And they had some, looking back at their schedule, they had some good wins. And then they had some close losses that you're like, all right, that was fun. And then there were some losses that you're like, what are you doing here? They finished the year out with a, with a big uh, emotional win against Kansas in that overtime game in the bowl game. Um, and, and so I, I think getting K.J. Jefferson back really, really helps you going into this year. Now, like I said, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Auburn, depending on where you know how they do in that year, you could surpass Arkansas depending on how the season goes. Because as I said with Devin Leary, just because you've got a really good quarterback doesn't mean everything else around you is going to be uh, you know elevated up. You that's what you hope for when you have a good quarterback is that they pick everybody up and elevate them. But you just never know going into this year. But because of KJ Jefferson being one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the league, I'm going to put him at six. My number six is going to be South Carolina. We haven't talked about them a lot yet, so uh, I guess I can open up the, uh, the the discussion here. Shane Beamer is beloved in that state. Uh, it, the 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 Gamecock faithful absolutely adore that man, uh, Beamer Ball, and all that. And it seems like he's got the program moving in the right direction. Went what eight and five last year, I think, including their bowl game, something like that. So uh, certainly back on track. Maybe not as good as the Spurrier years, but. Uh, about as good as we've seen South Carolina be on a consistent basis. So I, I'm, I like South Carolina. I think Spencer Rattler coming back, he's obviously did not turn into the quarterback that everyone thought he was going to be when he was coming out of high school, but still a pretty good lower-tier SEC quarterback, kind of a mid-tier quarterback would be average for teams uh, that are trying to compete for championships. But at South Carolina, he's done pretty well for himself. Uh, and, in, you know, South Carolina is – they kind of have upward momentum in the same way. So – South Carolina coming in at six. We've made it through number six now. We'll be into the top five of our SEC power rankings when we come back from this time out. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9.
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brian Donfrey, Brooks Childers with you here on this Thursday. Tiger 95.9 is the place to be here as we continue on with our power rankings. Need to make sure we can get this uh, done in its totality. So we're up to number five in our SEC power rankings coming into the season. Brant, why don't you go ahead with number five now? I'm going to have uh, somebody that you two have already talked about. I'm going to go with the Ole Miss Rebels. I have talked ad nauseum about how much I love Lane Kiffin and how good a coach I think he is. Uh, yeah, I understand that they kind of tailed off towards the end of last season, but uh, again, I think a lot of that was the fact that Auburn was whispering in his ear and how public that flirtation was, and uh, it, the team kind of lost focus around him, and he, he admittedly did not do a good job of keeping the team's focus on track, uh, even though he it seems like he was trying his best to. Um, but I, I, you know, I still think they're going to be really good. Obviously, don't know who the quarterback is, but they've got a lot of options, so hopefully one of them turns out to be good. Um, but yeah, I, I really like uh, Ole Miss. I like what they're doing. I think Quinshawn Judkins is one of the best returning players in the SEC, so I think that that team is going to be pretty good next year. My number five, and it's it. this could go very south because they, I mean you know you never know what's going to happen um, with the with these hype programs um, but at number five I've got the South Carolina Gamecocks you look at how they finished last year the the last few weeks of the season you can describe them as giant killers they they took down a Tennessee team that was uh, had their eye on the playoff had just beaten Alabama a few weeks before and then you go on the road and you upset your arch rivals a top 10 Clemson team uh, who you know kind of had an outside chance at a playoff too before that game, and so they they came into the, that game, and then you go to the, the the bowl game, you play very well, you do lose the bowl game to Notre Dame, but it's still you you finish the year beating two top ten teams uh, with Tennessee and and Clemson. There's a lot of momentum right there. I don't think they finish. Not again. They're they're number five in my power ranking, but I don't think they finish as a as a top five SEC team this year. I think some someone down here like an Ole Miss or an Auburn or an A and M or someone else is going to take that step up. But right now, power ranking just the, the going back to what we said earlier, the vibes around it. I like South Carolina. Yeah. So Brant had South Carolina number six. And I've got South Carolina number five, like uh, like Brooks. And look, the only reason I have them above, above Ole Miss is it's just the ends to their seasons because they were cataclysmically different. I don't know if that's Very. even a word, but but Ole Miss with the four straight losses, South Carolina went three straight wins, including the bowl game. But it's not the bowl game that interested me. It was scoring sixty three points on Tennessee, and then following up with the first win over Clemson in years, it was a, a huge end to the season for South Carolina. So, like, in terms of hype trains, the South Carolina hype train is full speed ahead. They were able to get the, uh, retain the services of Spencer Rattler. Now, ultimately, it's not like his season was awesome last year. I believe he threw, like, 13 or 14, uh, 12 interceptions to be – uh, exact to 18 TDs. It was not some impressive uh, deal there. They are returning their top wide receiver, but you know, just momentum wise, it was. It's not far off. I, I mean, this is a different situation because they had not. They already had five losses, but it's not a whole lot different for them than what Auburn did in 2017 
with the Georgia-Alabama dynamic, I get that Georgia and Alabama were number one. But at the time, Tennessee was number five. Clemson was number seven and included South Carolina's biggest rival there as well. So it was a huge end to the season for them. Now, if we were doing the predictive side of this, would I have South Carolina finishing fifth overall in this conference? No, would not have that. Uh, But just momentum-wise, upward trajectory – They've got to feel good about the way last season finished and uh, with getting Rattler back and as one of the, the top returning quarterbacks in the league. And, again, I think uh, power rankings-wise, that's where they're going to grade out the best. All right, into the top four. Uh, we've all got the same top four teams. Maybe a different order. Let's see. Let's we'll start with Brand at number four. At number four, I've got Tennessee. Nope, not a different order. Brooks, you, what you get? Do you got Tennessee at four? I also have Tennessee at four. All right, All right. not a different order. <laughs> I, I think we're I think we're gonna agree through the top four here. Yeah, but uh, why is uh, why is Tennessee above? I guess all the rest. Why are they at number four? For me, uh, Tennessee. Josh Heupel had his proof of concept here. He had his year where he went, "Hey, I can come in here and compete with the best teams." Uh, it, it was, I I mean, beating Alabama for the first time since the Obama administration. Uh, is certainly an accomplishment. They uh, heck, it, almost since Bush. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it since Bush? No, is hang it since on. Bush? I think it's yeah, since Bush. I think because Nick Saban w. had never lost uh, to. Um, yeah, it was the first time he lost. Okay, Tennessee. Okay, yeah. yeah, since the Bush administration. Go back even further. Uh, I'll get confirmation on that while you talk. Yeah, but it's just an incredible game. Uh, an incredible offense to watch. They were really fun, and it, man, you had Peyton Manning in the in the locker room smoking cigars with the players and. Josh Heupel doing it too. It just a, a great, a great. I mean, we've talked about vibes. Great vibes around the Tennessee program right now. Now they are having to replace uh, the quarterback. We all know how talented we think that uh, Joe Milton is. That the guy's yes. name? Yeah, Joe Milton. We all know how talented he is. It's a matter of can he put it together? Can the rest of the team continue that that level of success? Now I I don't I don't think they're going to compete for the SEC East, because I think there's one team that's head and shoulders above the rest of the teams in the East. Um, but I think Tennessee is a strong number two, and I think they might be, they could make a push to be the second-best team in the SEC this year. Uh, but Tennessee, very strong, very solid team, and uh, probably just had their best season in decades. Just to be clear, Barack Obama was elected president in 2008. Yes. The last time Tennessee won before 2022 was in 2006. All so right. So it was the second w. Bush administration. W. The, the W administration. Mission accomplished. <laughs> um, so I, I've also got Tennessee here. We, we just said that. The only reason that I don't have them at three is because of the quarterback, the quarterback situation. I, I like my number three's quarterback right now more than I like the the Tennessee's uh, quarterback situation. Now, I think Joe Milton is can be a really good quarterback, but I need to see him prove it. Yeah. Uh, you saw him at the end of last year when Hendon Hooker got uh, got beat up a little bit and got hurt, but I, I want to see what, how Heupel's offense goes with Joe Milton because you, you had such a dynamic quarterback last year with Hendon Hooker. Uh, he was in Heisman conversations before he got hurt. And so I, I think that that uh, Josh Heupel's got him on the right track. I think he's got him in a, in a position that if, you know, everything goes right, you can challenge uh, Georgia for that SEC East. Now we, we saw what happened last year when we thought they were going to challenge for the East and they went to uh, Sanford Stadium. Score, obviously, is not indicative of how that game went. 
Uh, but I think Tennessee's a really good program. They made it to a New Year's Six game last year. You've got a chance to build something here if you're Tennessee and continue upward trajectories to Tennessee's at four. Just because, like I said, I like the quarterback at my number three team a little bit more than my number four team. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you could have made an argument for Tennessee at three. Uh, just, just the pure um, euphoria from beating Alabama last year and, and just finally having a real season. Again, they had... Some like eight win teams with with Butch Jones, and they had some top twenty, top twenty five rankings at times, various preseason rankings, or maybe at points in the regular season. But last year was the first real year of Tennessee football, really post Phil Fulmer, and in terms of success. And so, even the Milton part of it, who. Look, I, I don't want to – I certainly don't think he's a known commodity. I also want to say I don't think that he is as unknown as maybe we we realize because, I mean, he did play two or three games there at the end of the year, including against a, a, a good Clemson team, and, and won that game 31-14, had, had no picks in his time playing quarterback last year, 80-plus pass attempts. So there's some evidence that he is going to work out. This is going to be a system that's going to be conducive to him and maybe anyone that plays in it under Hypel. But so if you wanted to argue them three, I, I could see that. But I'm just thinking that in terms of, okay, well, the Georgia game was disappointing. Uh, the offseason recruiting was fine. It wasn't like overly hyped. It was on the same level as these other top teams that we're talking about. So slight edge. Uh, or slight di- uh, disadvantage for them being number four. Going into number three, I've got LSU. That's the team I'm referring to them as being very close to. I just think with LSU actually making the title game because they too beat Alabama, uh, now it might admit more to Tennessee in a personal way just because it had been so long, but it meant more to LSU in a practical way because it put them – into the SEC title game, uh, provided that they had continued to win, and of course they did. So they had the right to lose to Georgia, and and so I think that <laughs> what just I'm just calling it stating like facts. Uh, you know they scored thirty points. Uh, they they gave up. That's half that, 100, against but, against that defense. Right. Thirty yeah. points is yeah pretty good. Uh, so I mean they did things, and they ultimately had a really impressive year in the like Tennessee. Basically, Tennessee and LSU finished in similar spots last year. However, LSU's coach was in his first year and Tennessee's was in their second. To me, that dictates that LSU's a little hotter, a little quicker uh, than Tennessee. Again, it's a matter of of close proximity there. Obviously, coming into this year, uh, you mentioned the Daniels bit. They've got Jaden Daniels. He's going to be, uh, I think, market is the number one quarterback in in the league coming into this year. And so LSU's got, again, all the talent they've ever had, but they've got a, a real solid coach in Brian Kelly, and they've already got the belief based off of the first year of some of the successes they had there. Does anyone have anything other than LSU at number three? No, I've got LSU in the same spot for the same reasons. I think <laughs> coming in and winning the SEC West in your your first year, what has long been the best division in the best conference, uh, that's super impressive. and especially after none of us really thought Brian Kelly was going to work out at LSU. Uh, but, you know, Jaden Daniels is, like you said, going to be marketed as the best quarterback returning in the conference. So 
I've got high expectations for LSU, and I think the fan base does too, and I think Brian Kelly is ready to meet those expectations. Yeah, the fact that you you looked at LSU last year, and uh, I believe if you look back at the media polls coming out of SEC Media Days last year, you LSU was toward the bottom, if not at the bottom of the SEC West, where everybody was picking anybody and everybody above LSU in the West last year, and they came in and they, they won it, and now going into this year, you're going to have – Probably, you know, just because of how, how voting goes, it's probably going to be Alabama at one, LSU at two in, in the SEC West. And but you could, but like you said, Ryan, you you got a really good shot at uh, having J, uh, Jaden Daniels be the number one quarterback, uh, or the, uh, being the number one quarterback in the SEC West. Also being the number one quarterback in the SEC when you look at some of these preseason polls and uh, and be you know shortlisted for a potential Heisman run this year, uh, so that that's the reason that I have LSU over Tennessee is the quarterback position. I like Jane Daniels a little bit more than I like J- uh, Milton, and so I, I think LSU you've got you know you've got potential to go in there and win it. Uh, I, I don't know if everyone said that Brian Kelly wasn't going to work out, but I, I think that it was Brian Kelly's going to take a couple years, and he didn't take a couple years. He he came in, bar, uh, guns ablaze, and said, "No, nah, I'm going to win this whole thing. I'm going to win the the West in year one," and he did. And so I've got him at three right there because there's two other teams that have really good coaches that uh, traditionally see themselves in that championship game. Yeah, you know, I I I think the the sentiment was just like we have no idea how it's how it's going to go it could go really wrong or really right and there was a large margin for a coach that had seemed to be such a a proven commodity from the standpoint of he did it for a long time at Notre Dame which is a serious program it's not like he's stepping in from a lower level of coaching there we got five or six minutes left of the show uh correct to say that Alabama number two and Georgia number one for both of you guys yes correct so with Alabama look obviously they lost two games last year by a total of four points. So it was a very significant four points because it cost them the opportunity to play for a title, both in the SEC and the country, uh, with that, that second loss with that LSU game. They had no problem with Kansas State, the Big 12 champion in the Sugar Bowl. And, look, I think that predictive-wise, when we get into the nuts and bolts of this year, the quarterback deal is going to be a real situation. But, look, it's Alabama. There's not some hit to their brand. There's not some hit to their recruiting. In fact, I think they did get the number one class this year. Maybe it was Georgia. I don't know. They were one and two with Georgia. They, they, there was no more of that A&M nonsense <laughs> this year. They, they returned right back there. And uh, so they're off on a normal foot for them. And then as far as Georgia at number one, Look, you've won two straight titles. You can't be hotter than that. Period. Doesn't matter. I mean, I know that, yeah, there's stuff going on in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, blah, blah. I get it. You know, and, and some of that stuff is serious. I'm not trying to diminish that. But from a program trajectory standpoint, you're not taking the team that just won two titles out of the number one spot. Uh, they will replace things this year. They will have another great defense. We will see what uh, – we'll maybe get kind of like – this is a, a more advanced example of this because we uh, Georgia had far more success than A&M, but this is kind of like the after Kellen Mond. Like, okay, I couldn't tell how average Kellen Mond was or if he was above average or where he was, but let's see what the next guy looks like, and that maybe gives us a better clue on what he actually was. Kind of feel that way about Stetson Bennett. Let's see the next guy after Bennett to see where Bennett, if we find a new appreciation for him or if, like, you confirm that, like, yeah, there was 
there's still a lot more room to be better. You know, I don't know. Like it feels like post Bennett will give us maybe a better clue on on where the proper evaluation for Bennett was while his time there. But nevertheless, I mean, these two programs clearly power ranking out at number one and number two in the conference. And quite frankly, I I don't I, maybe you could like power rank like USC second in the country maybe just because of the 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 media attention and the the love for Caleb Williams but even then as a power ranking like it'd be far it'd be a little far fetched to have anyone other than these two teams at being one and two in the country yeah the biggest question Alabama's got is quarterback and that's a question they've had before and they've turned out fine. As long as Nick Saban's the head coach, they're going to have a shot in a national championship. He is the greatest college football coach of all time and will not be dethroned for a while, uh, for a couple of years at least. I know Kirby Smart is doing incredible things at Georgia, and that's why they're number one right now. Like you said, back-to-back national championships, hard to do better. Uh, and they've proven – I don't think Stetson Bennett's a super great quarterback, uh, and you know I don't think losing him is going to be the biggest thing. Um, they are stacked everywhere else. Uh, I think they are the clear number one in the country right now, and I think Alabama is just kind of nipping at their heels. I think Nick Saban is trying to catch back up. Like you said, if those four points are different, then we're talking about Alabama and Georgia meeting in the and meeting in the SEC title game again. Who knows how that game goes? But man, but these these are two teams that one is a little bit better than the other, but they are both head and shoulders above most of college football. Yeah, you know, the like you said, the biggest quarter, the biggest question for Alabama is the quarterback situation, and I think that's a big question with Georgia too. But Georgia, Denver, it, their offense doesn't really rely on the quarterback making these huge big plays as much as Alabama did. But as you said, Nick Saban is still the head coach at Alabama, and if you'll remember correctly, um, a, a guy named Jacob Coker won a national championship as quarterback at Alabama, and mm. so it, it doesn't take a superstar with Nick Saban to win everything. And so both of these teams are just elite at what they do. Georgia get the upper hand because they've gotten the upper hand the last few years over Alabama when it comes to a national title, but never, never count the Crimson Tide out for a, for a run at a national championship. And, and I know that pains a lot of people around here to hear Georgia and Alabama still listed at the top, but, you know, Hopefully you can get uh, you can get a disruptor here with Hugh Freeze to come in and kind of you know take a few punches uh, or hand out a few punches to the top here of the SEC and uh, insert Auburn into that conversation too here in the next few years. That will do it for our SEC power rankings ahead of SEC media days here in 2023. If you missed any of that, go back and check it out on our our Sports Call podcast presented by. Coca-Cola. We are down to just a minute or two left of the show. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer Brooks. What do we have? Well, we'll start out in the movie world for you this evening at 625 on FXM. It's Total Recall, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger one, the 2012 remake uh, starring Colin Farrell. It's a great movie. Uh, I do like the original uh, more. All right, it's a marginally great fine Phil movie. Straws. It's great a, Phil it, Straws. It's I'm fine. trying to sell the product here, Ryan. <laughs> um, it, it's a marginally good movie. I do like the original better, but this one is on at 625 tonight. Then at 7 o'clock on Paramount, you want some comedy in your life? Anchorman, the now story, that's a great comedy story Banger. of Ron Burgundy, the legend of Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, I saw a clip of from a few days ago. It, it was a few years ago, but I saw a clip posted from when 
Will Ferrell went on the Dan Patrick show as Ron Burgundy and was like drinking whiskey at like 8 a.m. <laughs> Great stuff. If you can find that on Twitter, I highly uh, suggest checking it out. But Anchorman, 7 o'clock, Paramount Network. Tonight, it's a hodgepodge of sports everywhere. 6 o'clock on ESPN. It's back-to-back NBA Summer League action as the Houston Rockets take on Ryan's Golden State Warriors. Not my Warriors. These are a bunch of G League guys. And then at 8 o'clock, <laughs> it's the Portland Trailblazers taking on the Orlando Magic. Both of those live from Thomas and Max Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Also tonight at 7 o'clock, Major League Rugby. The Collegiate Rugby Shield happens tonight, FS1 tonight. And then later tonight, some Thursday Night Thunder is back on ESPN2. It's the Superstar Racing Experience, former IndyCar and NASCAR stars race with local drivers and other short tracks across the U.S. They start out in uh, Connecticut tonight, I believe. And you got Tony Stewart in the lineup. You got Brad Keselowski, Matt Kenseth, some some bigger names that you've you've heard recently in the sports of NASCAR and IndyCar. Andretti's in there. Uh, I think uh, Kenny Wallace is racing. There may be an appearance by Bill Elliott somewhere in there, uh, but there's a lot of big names in the racing world racing in this uh, summer experience, and uh, that's it tonight at 8 o'clock on ESPN2. And that is our Nightly TV Guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and uh, thank you for being on the show today. We'll see you again tomorrow. See you then. And thank you for being on the show today, Brant, and we'll see you at SEC Media Days come next Monday. Thank you for having me. That will do it for the show today. Also, like to thank TP Hammock for joining us for the first hour. And as always, we thank all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress, TP Hammock, and Brant Dontry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>